Welcome to Splittercast. Welcome to Splittercast, the not Brandon Sanderson podcast. We're a bunch of mega fans, and this is our spinoff show where we don't talk about Brandon Sanderson stuff, and we talk about other stuff that we that we want to talk about. And this episode, we are talking about season one of House of the Dragon. I am Eric, and joining me is David. I am Windrunners on the forum. Windrunner, not Windrunners, just just a singular me on the forum in Discord. <laughs> also joining us, we have Jess. Hello, I'm Lady Lameness. And lastly, we have Matt. Hey, I'm Comatose on the forums and uh, excited, yeah. There's more to the world than Brandon. Whoa, who, I know. Who known? Who knew? There's life outside the Cosmere. Yeah, because none of us were on the Cradle one, right? So it's like, well, this is this is our first Twitter cast that we're doing, yeah. right? So, And I'm Chaos on the forums because it's like, will, will we have people who don't know Brandon Sanderson watching this? Who knows? What forums? 17shard.com if you want Brandon stuff. But we're going to talk yeah. <laughs> about... House of the Dragon. Let's talk about our spoiler level here. Uh, so we are going to talk uh, like Game of Thrones spoilers for the show will be fine. For book spoilers with Fire and Blood and other Song of Ice and Fire, uh, we are going to talk about that, but we're not going to talk about like stuff that's related to the future of house of the dragon so like we we will compare and contrast you know fire and blood stuff for season one of house of the dragon but not like go into details uh of later stuff uh we might have a section at the end where we talk about like season two stuff uh and talk about some fire and blood spoilers uh so that's where we're gonna be and uh so i thought we'd start off just saying uh asking each of you What's your familiarity with Game of Thrones and uh, Song of Ice and Fire? And what did you generally think of House of the Dragon season one? And we'll start with you, David, because you're first. OK. All right. Well, I'm happy to happy to start. Uh, I have watched Game of Thrones. I watched it back in high school. It was kind of one of the big things that got me back into reading like adult fantasy post Brandon. You know, I was really stuck in a Cosmere rep for a while and I watched the <laughs> show and I was I need to read some other books. And so I got super into the book series. I've read all the main A Song of Ice and Fire stuff and watched the show. And like many people felt that season eight <laughs> did not quite live up to the promise of really anything. And so I was I have watched the news of prequel shows with a good bit of skepticism and maybe a touch of derision and was not <laughs> expecting to watch this at all. And I was like, oh, you know what? I it's. It's not Dan and Dave. I will watch this. I'll watch episode one with an open mind. And I thought they crushed it. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's gotten me back into wanting to read the books again, which is a dangerous place to be. <laughs> but I, I'm, I was really, really pleased with it. Awesome. Jess. Uh, so I've watched all of Game of Thrones and I don't really know what Dave is talking about because I think that season eight promised to be really bad before it even began <laughs> and it delivered on that very well and i think everyone uh got exactly what they were kind of expecting from that season Ouch. Oh my um, God. 
but yeah, so I, I, I watched all the show. Uh, it took me two goes to get into it because um, the first time I thought it was going to be gory than it actually ended up being. Um, but I really enjoyed most of the show. I've read the first Song of Ice and Fire book and I've read half of the second one. Uh, I do want to reread them again. I am hesitant to start when it's not finished. Like, I, if I want to read abandoned works, not that, not that Martin's like abandoning it, but if I want to do that, I'll just go read fan fiction. It's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm halfway through the Dance of Dragons section of um, Fire and Blood, which I started after watching the show because, like David, I was kind of skeptical on how good this was going to be and also was very blown away by it and really, really enjoyed it. It is one of my new favorite things um, that I've become obsessed with since it came out. So yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it and definitely recommend that people go watch it and uh, choose and support their favorite war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Matt! <laughs> We're used to supporting work criminals um, in the Brandon and Sanderson that's true. That's uh, true. fandom. That's 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 a fact. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's so I, I, yeah, I started reading uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series back when I was in high school in the aughts, and then I watched the show and really liked it for a while, and then I didn't. Um, I've read. The Hedge Knight graphic novels oh boy. Um, and some of the short stories about the the, the, the Duncan Egg uh, saga and some other things. And then I've read all of Fire and Blood all a long time ago. So Fire and Blood, for example, there are some things in the show that still surprise me because I uh, forgot them. But it was kind of nice because I had this kind of background knowledge that I always knew what was going on without relying on Wikipedia too much um, and was able to like impress the people I was watching with by following it. But at the same time, I was still like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So it was good. And what did you think of the show? What did I think? I it restored my faith in the franchise to some extent. I'm still a little because the first season of Game of Thrones was very good. And both <laughs> of these are like setup season ones. I'm kind of withholding judgment a little bit until I see subsequent seasons, just because I've been down this road before and I, you know, don't want to be hurt again. <laughs> I think it helps that this one is completely written. Um, so yes. unlike with Game of Thrones, they're not going to like run out of material and have to start. Yeah. Making well, and depending own. how far they go, like like Fire and Blood, th this isn't really a spoiler, I don't think. Fire and Blood only goes up to a certain generation. Like it doesn't sure. go all the way up to um, where Game of Thrones picks sure, up. Sure, sure, sure. So there's yeah. more material in between there, like the Dunkin' Egg novels and other things. Like, if this is big, they could just, like, House of the Dragon for mm -hmm. yeah. generations. I, I have heard, yeah, I have heard them say that there's the possibility that if this does well, they will, maybe not continuously, but potentially would jump to other eras of Targaryen kings and do stories set in those times. Although once you lose the dragons, there is a touch less drama. That's one <laughs> of the things I'm interested in. <laughs> True. Uh, so for me, I have, 
I have read no Song of Ice and Fire and I've seen no episodes of Game of Thrones. Obviously, with pop culture, I didn't want to pirate it. I didn't I didn't have HBO. You know, you, you've absorbed some by osmosis, though. Oh, maybe. Uh, oh, tons by <laughs> osmosis, tons. And uh, so by the time season eight come, came out, uh, Jess and I were dating. Uh, and so she eh, every Sunday got to just rant to me for like two to three hours about how terrible uh, the each season eight episode was. So I, I know all about that. And I, I know Sean Bean dies because, I mean, obviously. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I know what's up. I know it's a bloody uh, show, but I, I've never actually seen any of it. And certainly with season eight totally failing the landing, I have no desire to actually like start that show. Right. Mm-hmm. But House of the Dragon was really excellent. Uh, I do have some issues with how the season ended because I, I think I expected a bigger climax and it's it's very clear that this is a setup season right and so i've i've sort of come to terms with that but i was just expecting you know like more heads to roll than just one uh in the finale but you know uh that's that's fine that's fine it clearly it's not gonna go well in future seasons and lots of people are gonna die that and i i guess i just expected it would happen a bit sooner but mm-hmm. i will just say what an incredible uh like just scene by scene it was a fantastic show like uh, just maybe enjoyable is not the right word because it's very stressful <laughs> honestly but like it's it's super compelling and like there's drama in like every scene uh it, it's hard for me to think of a scene that it's like yeah that scene really didn't pull its weight and stuff and so coming from like I don't want to get on a big tangent, but like comparing with, say, like season one of Wheel of Time, like this is just so much better, like not even close, in my opinion, like just drama and just how compelling the storytelling was. So I loved it. And now I do kind of want to read the books, uh, at least Fire and Blood. Uh, you know, Winds of Winter is 75 percent done, so we'll we'll probably see it eventually, maybe. So may- maybe I'll go re- read the main the main books, maybe uh, Are you. Sweet summer child. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's for the same reason that it's like, oh, I have uh, book two of King Killer just on my shelf and I never finish it. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm good. I'll, I'll wait till the third one. But I mean, that would imply that Brandon stops writing so many books and I actually have time to read other things. So that's that's the yeah. tricky thing. No, with the secret projects coming out next oh, year, I'm kind of like, I'm not going to read anything else. Like... Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> but wow, I, 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 I'm just blown away. Uh, like I do, do, do we have a favorite episode or favorite moment of season one? It's got to be Viserys coming to Rhaenyra in episode eight. Like that was I was like jumping up from my couch like that was it was a great moment. I'm kind of glad that someone else said that because now I can actually like think of other good moments of the show and not like just default to that one. Yeah, I just had to to throw it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I'm going to say two. Um, I really liked the setup with the prophecy um, because I thought that was a cool element woven in and then how it was so in character misinterpreted by Alicent. Like I knew exactly like she wanted so badly for Viserys to choose her family and her children. 
And so she just needed that slight justification, but on, putting it on the heels of her like almost reconciliation with Rhaenyra was like brutal. And and you and Viserys is like, I, I think he imagines he's talking to Rhaenyra, right? Yeah, like, in yeah. That scene, yeah. And it's like, oh he, no, it's so because he he's talking about the Conqueror's yeah. dream, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and this was an addition from the books, but uh, Rhaenys's escape from the Dragon Pit. Mm -hmm. um was i was like i was like oh this is new and then i was watching and i was like she's got to escape on a dragon like they're in the dragon pit like she's got to escape on a dragon and i was like just like are they gonna do it are they gonna do it and then the dragon comes out and i was just like yes that was pretty (laughs) sweet Uh, apparently that's a pretty controversial one on the internet uh oh well Well, i can talk about it but uh, i I definitely Yeah, she is such a compelling character and they've expanded her role in a great way. Yeah. 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 Rhaenys was honestly one of my fave characters, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like talking specifically of moments. I can't choose one. Can I take three? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're just spitballing. We're, we're just spitballing. That's fine. That's fine. So Eric has to do four after okay, this. Okay. All right. Oh crap! And I'm I'm just still talking. I'm still thinking about Viserys walking. <laughs> I'm like, what other things happened here? So the the ones that really stick in my mind, um, the fight between Alicent and Rhaenyra at the end of episode seven. Um, when she goes at oh, Rhaenyra with yeah. a knife and Beautiful. they're just holding on to one another and Rhaenyra's like, now everyone will see what you're really like or like something mm-hmm. like that. So, oh boy, yeah, that was, that, that was really good. Really good. Um, I really liked that. Uh, I really enjoyed Vaymon losing his head. That was <laughs> 10 out of 10 great. Uh, I, thinking of what he was saying, like I... I think he went about it the wrong way. Uh, I do think he was like a little bit justified, like in in the reasoning, but really went about it the wrong way. And it, I, I was very pleased with that. I really enjoyed that moment. Um, and also, uh, Vagar eating Luke was one where I was just like on the edge of the couch. I knew it was going to happen. It was like one of the only big spoilers I had actually scene before the episode um came out and i was on the edge of my couch like watching us like oh i know it's gonna happen but i didn't know how and to just see him like come out of this cloud and just devour (laughs) this tiny dragon in person like i i was sitting there like with like my jaw was hanging down and i was just gobsmacked so yeah those were some great moments and to make it a mistake like yes like Make that it was such a like ugh. like Eamon didn't want to do that he just wanted to really rattle luke yeah. right and really but he was being pulled. like irresponsible yeah. and then like ugh. and it mm-hmm. plays in so well with the the change of having rhaenyra um be more hesitant about actually starting the war and like not wanting to be the one who makes the aggressive move <laughs> and then Eamon really screws up in like the worst possible way and it's his fault like he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing and man those are some big consequences but there was there were mm-hmm. some great memes that just showed uh and one was just like <laughs> like memes. oh 
oh, I'm I'm so surprised that my giant Godzilla dragon murdered uh, this tiny one. And it was the surprise Pikachu face, but had an eye patch. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was really I, good. I liked all the ones. You have great memes. I liked all the ones that were like, uh, Mima Vagar thinks that this is the Aegon's conquest still, and she's just flying around like trying to kill people. And they're like, no, no, Vagar, we're not conquering the Seven Kingdoms anymore. <laughs> Yet. I, I, I've seen one similar to that, but it's like the ghosts of Lena on one shoulder and of Visenya, like the Visenya, older. Yeah. Um, Ryder on the other shoulder and Lynn is being like, it's okay. It's just a baby. It's just throwing something at you. It's okay. You don't have to react. It's a child. And then the was just like, war. War. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Amazing memes. Um, There were some really good memes that came out after um, Lena's death as well uh, about him and Carl, like, running off and having like this really idyllic little life while like the dance of dragons is happening in the background <laughs> yeah yeah we'll, we'll talk about that we, we gotta talk time. about that there's, there's there's a lot to talk about i'm trying to think of other favorite moments i have a couple of that popped in my head if you're go for thinking, it yeah please but... do thanks save me yeah. please yeah other stuff i really liked i liked rhaenyra confronting daemon for the dragon egg in the start and then the parallelism that came back later when she was confronting uh what's his face otto uh, otto, otto. Yeah. when he showed up again it was like the same oh, scene in yes. mirror and i really yes. liked that at dragonstone mm-hmm. with yeah that that was i got the parallels well, yeah it was really nice and- what I loved about that initial scene with her and Damon is it's kind of like setting up the idea of a civil war between Targaryens and how devastating that would be. But it's not the factions that end up forming because it's not Rhaenyra. Like the first episode is pitting Rhaenyra against Damon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then but it ends up being Rhaenyra versus Alicent, which it, it's yeah, this yeah. Is fun. Like. You know Damon's gonna be an agent of chaos the the entire show, and he is. He totally is. And him murdering Vaymond in episode eight was just yeah, <laughs> completely deserved. And Damon would do it right. And that was the mm-hmm. order that Viserys said. It's like, hey, we'll we'll cut out his tongue. Well, okay, yeah. he can keep his tongue. He missed a little bit, but he got close. <laughs> Someone mentioned online, and I don't know anything about sword fighting or anything like that but to get the velocity that he would have needed to like slice through his head like that he would have had to do like the full like swing around which meant people just like stood there and watched him do the whole thing and didn't didn't try and like interfere to be fair um get a little pedantic uh valerian steel is lighter and sharper okay than anything okay like it like mm-hmm. it's light for its size and like um i think oh no am i getting i know it's sharper it might not Definitely. be lighter i think I might it is be lighter with the lore i think i think it is it's hard to know yeah. with shard blades but and it, <laughs> yeah. i think it's not made super clear but yeah. that is the other house targaryen sword that is dark sister the one that yeah. is yeah. not the blade that Aegon is waving around like it's a Viserys uses it like it's a scepter. He's banging the end on the ground. Yeah, and I'm like you're lucky it's Valyrian steel. Because his is his is black fire, right? It's black fire yeah. and dark sister. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. but that uh, but Damon was given dark sister because he's just 
they're like, okay, we're yeah. going to give a good sword to the best warrior. And yeah. dark, so Dark Sister is Visenya's sword, mm-hmm. like the yeah. original writer of Vagar. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Whoo, boy, mm-hmm. uh, I can totally see how Fire and Blood, it's both a great thing to adapt because you don't have to worry about blow-by-blows. Like, mm-hmm. they're... There's not really scenes to adapt because it's more his- historical. I, I said yeah. it to Jess that it's the medieval uh, Wikipedia version mm-hmm. of, of it's the fan wiki, uh, the yeah. in-world fan wiki version. And they're adapting the fan wiki. Basically, yeah, it, it, it's so. a Wikipedia page with a couple like zoom in. Like there is a yeah. bit of blow by blow. Like it will mm-hmm. like zoom in for like a particular moment here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they're. Like and they're picking the like most interesting part too, right? Because Fire and Blood starts with the before the conquering, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like but they're the like time. jumping in when it gets really spicy, really spicy. So and mm. and still leaving the like conquering to be like legendary because mm. I think like mm-hmm. Aegon the first is such a like a figure of legend. I think for like the Game of Thrones mythos. It, He's more intimidating by reputation than it would be like to show it actually seeing that happen. Yeah. Well, apparently, um, and Matt and David, please correct me if I'm wrong, because you've actually read the full book. Um, but the the prophecy that was put into the show, um, and the idea that the prophecy came from Aegon the Conqueror, and that was why he came to Westeros. Apparently that has not actually been in the books before. And that was told to the showrunners by George R.R. Martin himself <laughs> as the reasoning behind this is why you should put it in the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is yep, super is cool because it brings this through line through a lot of the works. Also explain there's some other things in some of the other works that kind of hint at that. And like the Targaryens are always they've been mentioned to be dreamers. Like oh. the fact that prophecy has been in their bloodline somewhere has been like hinted at before. So it's like not out of um, left field that Aegon might have been able to do that. And like Daenerys, of course, in Game of Thrones has dreams, but it, mm-hmm. it was a very cool touch. And I thought it was like so effective. Yeah, well, the, the only reason the Targaryens exist to begin with is because one of Aegon's ancestors had a dream about the Doom of Valyria and told the Targaryens they needed to leave. And so yeah. they are the that's why they exist. The that's why they're day. the only dragon lords to. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I, I liked it. I think it explains some cool stuff later on in like a Song of Ice and Fire where it seems like Rhaegar Targaryen has mm-hmm. like a prophecy that he is kind of operating off of. And that's never like explained where that came from or anything. And so I could definitely see that tying back. I did. This is I'm going to go on a conspiracy theory really quick. I kind of questioned why for Game of Thrones season eight, we all know this (laughs) prophecy was not really that relevant or interesting. We had Arya kill the kill the Night King. Just, you know, quick dagger move. Stab. It's over. That was easy. Yeah, I thought that and, was and, and she's not the prince that was promised. She's right. not the prince that was promised. As much as I like her, I didn't think that's where yeah. her story was heading. I didn't think yeah. that was I you know, it didn't have to be Jon Snow does the hero thing, but like that was not what I was hoping for. And so I am fascinated by the fact that they chose to make a through line one of the aspects of the show that I hate the most <laughs> to like remind it's like every time it comes up, it reminds me of my dissatisfactions with the original show 
So I do struggle with it a little bit, but it's not the prophecy's fault, though. It's It's not the the prophecy's fault. That's true. But here's my conspiracy is there's rumblings of a Jon Snow show that they want to make. And I think that they are aware that they damage their brand incredibly (laughs) and would like to make some changes to how and what happens with Jon Snow and potentially do a little fixing in a Jon Snow show where this could possibly still be relevant. So that's my conspiracy theory. And I also think I was reading some article. This this is like several weeks ago or like earlier (laughs) in the show that it's like, well, House of the Dragon isn't like in the exact same timeline as Game of Thrones, the show. So we can still like foreshadow like a good ending (laughs) and I guess it'll be in the books (laughs) or something. And like maybe maybe like the show continuity will get that in the Jon Snow thing. Uh mm-hmm. to my in my head, a Jon Snow show is I'm like, are you killing the remnants of the wildlings? Like, what are you doing up north? Like, that's where he's left. So it doesn't like make a ton of sense to me. I do think at least the creators say that this is supposed to be this is the same continuity. This is the canonical version, like version of what happened historically in the same world as the TV show Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. But okay. Yeah. I think but- there's there's been yeah, talks they didn't that stick the landing. No, obviously. Um, like I, I've seen things online that something about how the. Sh- Oops. <laughs> I win the Dance of Dragons now. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen stuff online about um, George R. R. Martin saying something about the way the show is setting this up is more indicative of what the real ending should be right. of the Song of Ice and Fire books. That's what I'm thinking. However, as someone who knows very little about the actual lore or really anything, because I've watched things maybe once, it doesn't stick out to me as a casual fan that anything in the show as currently presented makes what happened in Game of Thrones not work. And I've seen people online try to argue that it does, but I I don't know, like things still seem to canonically match up to me. Like maybe something comes up later, but I feel like they have to do something with this prophecy in this show because they keep bringing it up. Like they can't sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they, they, they can't resolve it because obviously that has to go on to later. But I feel like they have to do something with it and not just like just mention it. Otherwise, then it feels a little shoehorned in as a mm. we're trying yeah. to fix Game of Thrones, guys. I, I think part of what I see the prophecy as, um, and it kind of plays out in Game of Thrones too. Like the Targaryens, I think, have this like interesting relationship with prophecy where it's like they're like their goal and kind of what made them great. But it's also the misinterpretation of prophecy is also mm-hmm. what like causes a lot of their, you know, problems or like mm-hmm. like if every generation thinks like I'm the chosen one, like I'm the prince that was promised. Right. Like it. it um, so I think. And again, depending on how many seasons of this they do and how far along the genealogy they go, it could be a useful through line as they're like doing whole new casts of characters to be. And this is how this generation struggles with this issue that um, 
we mm-hmm. saw. I know for sure. they said or George said four seasons for at least the Dance of the Dragons. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, yeah, makes makes sense um, from what's in the book, I think. Mm. Yeah. And how far they right. got this season. Yeah. There's a lot of spectacle in the book. And so I'm very excited to see how they fill out the character stuff, because that's what they've mm-hmm. been doing a brilliant job of so far. So, <laughs> right. like, I mean, be, like, be, like I can I think four seasons make sense. There are so many battles like there's so <laughs> many like and then this happens and then this happens. So I'm curious, like how that's all going to resolve. But I'm so excited for that because I, I was waiting the entire season for like the, the shoe to drop and like the massive battles to happen. And like, I think that's why at the end of the season, I was like, I wish I could have gotten more uh, from from what I hear of every time after is that there's a lot of battles like all the time. Yeah. And so it's like you, you probably couldn't have moved a battle up. So like I, I've come to terms with it. I, I'm just going to chalk this that it's like this is the setup and we need all the character setup because later stuff uh where it's just all gonna go down and it's just gonna constantly do that then that's my uh impression Mm -hmm. of how it's gonna go Uh, i totally agree david that they've done such a good job fleshing out the character relationships because obviously that is not in fire and blood to my understanding Mm -hmm. and so Yeah. yeah that's that's kind of uh like the advantage to adapting fire and blood is that you have a lot of opportunity where like oh we can flush a lot of things out that weren't there it could have been done really badly right Mm -hmm. and but they they really did a great job of uh just having all the characters there and feel very believable um and and also very understandable even when there's like Mm -hmm when like characters are not getting along you can like understand why they are in conflict like all the time and every scene has subtext and that that's the thing that i really like uh about this where like every almost every sentence and scene has some like there's a sub meaning that is not what they're saying but like that's it's in there in the background Mm -hmm. the whole time and that's that's what I love a lot because you could easily imagine worse writers just making it. It's like, this is what's happening and I am saying what I'm doing and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a great example of that is anytime Rhaenys is in a scene, like there's the context of she, this is a person who would have been a better queen than Viserys. I think he was a little like, I like Viserys had a good heart. I think he's a good man, not a good, necessarily a good king. Agreed. Mm -hmm. She is always like, you know, all her interactions with Rhaenyra about her eventual ascension to power, if they'll let her actually do it all the times, especially I thought episode 10, where she shows up and it's kind of an open question whether or not she will support Rhaenyra. You can see her standing there. You can see her not bow and everyone bows to Rhaenyra when yeah. she's crowned. Mm-hmm. You can see her watch Rhaenyra bring her granddaughters with her to the painted table and involve them in the planning of this war and watch her just evaluate all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just so great. Yeah, I was almost wondering if she was go- like she was going to be a third faction. So it's interesting that she's just like with the blacks. Uh, yeah, but like she's she's a fascinating character for sure. Very cool. And I also something you're mentioning about all the battles uh, to come. I kind of wonder, too, how they're going to. Make it not repetitive. Mm, um, true. Like mm-hmm. 
for example, the um, the killing of Joffrey, like Laner's um, initial love interest by Kristen Cole, happens in a joust at first. And I kind of think part of why they changed that is they had the the joust scene with Damon and Kristen in episode, in episode one. one. So they're like having like another like joust gone wrong mm. scene would be like particularly because uh, people die in that first episode as well during yeah. the joust. So yeah. like it, yeah. it, it doesn't have like that the much of an impact. impact compared to like him losing the plot and murdering someone in a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm kind of wondering like with all the battles to come, like, you know, what are they going to do some like, Oh, this, we're going to show you the battle, some stuff like in the aftermath or like during like, you know, you could do like mm-hmm. a episode, like, or like part of an episode just in the command tent and people running in and out report, like, how are they going to mm-hmm. like, switch things up so it's not just like as much as i do want to see a dragon blow something up every episode um <laughs> i do i every episode actually like <laughs> dragons fighting other dragons let's kill all those dragons and and everyone else mm. let's let's just look they they did say when the dragons go to war everything turns to ash and it's like you know what i do i do actually want to see that i want to see how bad yeah. it gets you know there there's a scene, I won't say which it is because this is like a longer spoiler, but that happens in the show and I was watching it and I'm like, every single character in this scene is dead at the end of this. Like they're all, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, they're all there and I'm just like, and many of them at each other's hands. Like, <laughs> excellent. Another thing I really like about the show is the casting of the Valarians as black. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, that. Everything with uh, casting diversity is always controversial on the Internet, of course. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think it was done really well. Uh, Also, like Corliss, uh, Steve Toussaint, I'm not pronouncing that right. Great acting. And so like, yeah, cast him, make that entire house black. Great. Cool. I love it. Um, But the thing that it adds is when you see the time jump, and you see Rhaenyra's kids, it's like, yeah, I, yeah, they, they, these, these are not Valerians, are they? And like, in watching that episode, I was like, were they? Because Viserys obviously believes it, and he, he has his own uh, rationalization, or may, maybe he's just in denial, right? I think, I think he doesn't care, because mm, they're still mm-hmm. his grandkids, right? Like, through Rhaenyra, yeah. mm. like, there's, they are, they're not Valyrians, but they are Targaryens, right? Sure. And so mm-hmm. him protecting their legitimacy is protecting his grandkids. Sure, 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 sure. But like just seeing yeah. it's like, mm, yeah, no, the, these are these 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 yeah. kids are very white, uh, <laughs> you know, like that. That really adds to that. And I, I thought that was really well done. I think I the main so. unfortunate part mm-hmm. of the choice that I've seen talked about a bit is that they unfortunately picked a house where a lot of people uh, die um, in the course of the first season. So it does fall a little into that trope of including diversity and then killing off all Mm. the um, not white characters. But, um, but we got some survivors at the end and there was a bit of a fake out with Lord Corliss um, where he wasn't actually dead. So I was like, okay, we've got some, Mm -hmm. And we That's still have like point. the daughters and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. when things were looking bleak for Corliss and Vaymond was dead and Laner basically dead, like 
he survived, but was like written off. I was like, it's a little. Um, but I do think it it made sense and was a really cool way to heighten the tension around the appearance of Rhaenyra's. Mm. Um, not just be like, oh, they're not blonde. Like, right. Oh, they're not blonde. And like, they don't really look like either of the parents. They. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we saw Lena and Damon's children, you know, and they look they look just like their parents, which was another thing. Yeah. And that's a good point, Matt. It, like, it is cool to have some black dragon riders, though. Like, that's another thing that I think is yeah. awesome. And it just so many things change in the books. Why is this the one that people need to throw a fit about? I do not understand and never really will. So I thought it, w- it was a really good decision. And yeah. I think Steve is awesome. And they were asking him in one of the, the official podcasts if he would do like a Corliss show because he has his own like seven voyages yeah. to like a guy and all this stuff. And he's like, I don't think I'm too old to play young Corliss Valerian, but I'll be the guy sitting in the chair going, let me tell you about my voyages. <laughs> I think that'd be just awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it raised uh, the tension really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I can definitely see that that critique. It's like oh, a lot of these people are going to die. And I, I get that. But I'm also expecting most characters in this show to die. And I think that's yeah. my safe. Bet it's the here. ordering, right? That's, like, yeah. it's like totally that typical true. like totally horror movie plot. Like right. even if right, everyone right. does die, it's the fact that some people consistently <laughs> die first. That's <laughs> fair. That's totally fair. Is, totally, um, fair. you know. We'll keep can, our fingers I, well, and also, for like, him. I think people got really excited for mm. the Valerians. And so I mm. also think some people who felt represented there maybe felt a little bit betrayed when it was like three episodes in a row of just like, you know, mm. knocking yeah. them off. Yeah. I know when we'll, the we'll our... Valerians um, like turned up in the show, I didn't recognize the name. So I was like, hmm. I feel like this house doesn't uh, last through to Game of Thrones because I don't think they're in Game of Thrones. <laughs> they, uh, they are. They're mentioned in the books. They're mentioned, and I think maybe in the show too. But they're mentioned like and like one-offs as one of Stannis's because Stannis in the original series is Lord of Dragonstone. Like he inherits mm-hmm. Dragonstone, so they're one of his bannermen. So okay. when he's listing like his supporters in the struggle between the brothers. Clearly it doesn't uh, go well for them though. <laughs> well, but yeah, no, they're definitely not um like one of the most powerful houses in Westeros uh by the mm-hmm. time Game of Thrones happens. Well, when you look at them like the Targaryens are not people that people like anymore at this at, in Game of Thrones, so one of their strongest historical ally houses has also fallen on some hard times, I think mm-hmm. is part of it. Yeah. And there is, this is a minor book spoiler, but I'm going to say it anyway because it is funny. There is like a, what is his name? I think it's eight. It's something, Orain Waters. He's in yeah. book four. And yeah. uh, he's the a bastard, bastard Driftmark yeah. is his name essentially. And Cersei just thinks he's cute because he's Valyrian and makes him Lord Admiral of the ships. And she builds him a fleet and he goes, all right, Cersei. And then he just becomes Pirate Lord of the Stepstones, people think. Like he steals all the boats and just leaves. <laughs> and that's so that's, and that's Cersei's decision that she made. <laughs> yeah, Hilarious. but it is fun because he's kind of like you know, uh, Valyrian has this long history of like dominating the mm. Lord of Ships position, right? right. And so Hilarious. it's kind of like going back. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 nice to see those connections. So one thing that I really noticed with this show 
um, particularly in comparison to Game of Thrones itself, is this show has so many characters that legitimately love each other and like mm. actively care about each other and kind of show it in their own ways. And I really, really liked that because like I'm generally a character reader. I like reading about characters and relationships and not knocking over my book again. Um, <laughs> and it, it was just something that just jumped out to me so much compared to Game of Thrones where like, the bad guys don't really get to love other people. And if they do, it's seen as, like, this bad thing. Like, the the only, like, big relationship that jumps out that, like, is sort of positive in Game of Thrones between bad guys to me is, like, Cersei and Jaime. And it's always painted as, like, but this is terrible because they're twins, because they're siblings. And, like, whereas this show, it's just like, you know what? incest incest everywhere incest for you and incest for you and incest for everybody and, and it's just like that that's kind of like taken away as as like the bad thing so yeah. it, it's just really interesting to see how i think it deepened relationships and like the the ones that really jump out is like viserys and um damon are fascinating to like think about together and like how they interact with each other but even then like Renera and Damon are really interesting because I think they genuinely care about each other as well I think Damon like genuinely loved Lena as well and genuinely mm -hmm. loves his children and like I was really uh kind of like shocked but like interested shocked like when we had the time jump and we see him with like Lena pregnant and the twins and he's just like sitting there like reading with Bela and I'm like wow wasn't expecting Damon to be like a good dad but okay I'm into this <laughs> and like it, Allison and Renera as well like uh, despite everything that's happening like this the episode 10 like really showed that like the thing with the the book page and like mm. it really jumped back to episode one where they did just they did love each other as friends yeah. and they had like a really strong bond and friendship and i just don't think game of thrones had that for a lot of its characters and the characters that did have it for us like but you're obviously the good guys so you're allowed mm -hmm. to have this thing <laughs> whereas i find yeah. that this show it really is everybody has something like this mm -hmm. like even like Renice and Collis like he's away for four years and even though she like actively says to him in the episode before like I want Driftmark to go to Bela and to mm -hmm. um Reyna I think her name is like I wanted to go Rayla, yeah. yeah yeah like through them because they are they they are legitimately of this line and we all know that even if we're not saying it and he says no and then goes off to sea for four years and she maintains that and she never wants waivers like mm -hmm. at all so it was just something i really liked and something i really wanted to bring up because i i found it fascinating and it makes me like the characters a lot more and like want to engage with them a lot more and learn about them a lot more I agree, Jess, and I think that it makes the deaths more impactful because you think because you see how that's going to, you know, the repercussions that are going to happen when someone like Viserys dies or, you know, or or Lena, you know, like you can see how it echoes out. And even in Game of Thrones, like the characters that love each other, the Starks, were basically not on screen together 
until the very end, you know, so even the yeah. characters that had bonds of affection didn't really have a lot of opportunities to display that affection at all. So and that's totally true. And I think the other thing, what you're talking about is highlighting is how this is a very intimate story. We're not talking about 16 different families <laughs> spread out across the continent. We're talking about Dude. one family. Yeah, um, yeah, right. With like a couple branches and like, but like it, it's a more intimate, contained story. And I think the one that highlighted the episode that highlighted that the most was the funeral episode for Lena. When it's like, oh, we can have like our entire cast in the mm. same room, which mm-hmm. never could have happened in in Game of Thrones, really. Yeah, I, I like the intimacy and the kind of smaller scale and that we're just focusing on this like one extended family um, and the interrelationships. It's it's really cool. And it, the, the thing I like is that like who is good and who is bad is like really like it's very gray like obviously uh Aegon the second uh hmm he's uh he doesn't seem like a good guy but like i i i mean he's he's obviously not a good guy but i really liked his characterization in episode 9 where he's like hiding mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be king and then you see his coronation and you see it in his face as like the adoring crowd and he's like yeah, I'm into that, you know, and, yeah, and it's yeah. like no dialogue and you can see it in his face. What great acting there. But but like I, I like that he has like he never he never wanted to be king his entire life. He just wanted to be, be an asshole. Yeah, and be an asshole. Yeah, right. Uh, and he didn't want that responsibility. But so like even him and I mean, Damon's not a good person either, but like Damon's no. a super complex character, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. I know that him choking Rhaenyra at the end is also a very uh, spicy topic as well. But like, yeah. Damon's not a good guy in this, but he he's a very complex character. And so like he can show love and affection, but he's also he can also be horrible as well and that that's Mm -hmm. the really interesting thing about house of dragon where like you can sort of see everyone's perspective yeah and i I think aemon the second is a really good example of that because he's the closest to i'd say like a joffrey where like like joffrey in game of thrones is like universally hated right (laughs) like Mm -hmm. there is like no and but aemon he follows a lot of the same archetypes like his father doesn't pay attention to him but he like spoiled blah blah blah, and he's awful to people but he knows he's awful like that like joffrey thinks he's the greatest but aemon is like yeah no like i'm a big piece of trash but i just want to do my thing and get drunk and then it's not until like you said he's in front of the adoring fans that he's like oh maybe oh you mean aegon oh you mean aegon not aemon did I say Aemond? Yeah. Yeah. Targaryen names. Aegon. It's like, oh, this, this is a really interesting take. I, I yeah. haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, we we yeah, do need to talk about Aemond, though. But yeah. Yeah, we do no, need we to talk about Aemond. But yeah, no. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Aegon. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the, I don't know his name, but the actor that plays Aegon um, was, had some really interesting, um, introspection on Aegon as a character because the comparison with Joffrey was brought up and he was uh, talking more about how Aegon is more aware of his surroundings and is more aware of his place in society whereas Joffrey is just like 
is like the egotistical maniac that just thinks he is the best person in the world. Um, and like Joffrey was always a terrifying, interesting character, but honestly, I find Aegon more interesting because he is more aware of what's going on. And like, you can really see how like his upbringing has had so much of an impact on who he is. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool thing. Like, I compare this show a lot to The Crown in my head. But the cool thing, I think, about the time jumps, um, which, you yeah. know, maybe well, we we'll segue talk about in. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that with the characters, you're seeing that intergenerational kind of, like, evolution. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm. oh, like, how does the Aemond that we see when he's first introduced as this, like, kind of more, like, sensitive kid who's getting bullied because he doesn't oh, have a dragon. Right. That's right. Turn into, like, <laughs> this, like, you know, fierce warrior um, dragon rider guy. Mm. And so, like, that... But then he still has this complex, you know, like, Rhaenyra's kids, the pig is served at the dinner, and they start laughing, and, like... Like, the bad blood in this family goes back Mm -hmm. so, so far. (sighs) Yeah. You're totally right. And I really think that Aemon is an interesting character that they have made way more sympathetic. And it's kind of indicative of a lot of things they're doing that are different in the book. Where I do think Allison's faction in the book is much more, is like much less sympathetic. (laughs) And they have really made it more of a... More, giving you more characters to root for and i think that yeah. aemon is one of those where i he's really kind of a must like a mustache twirling like damon jr in the book like he's not that interesting and all the things that they do with him where he is you know he is kind of probably more equipped to be king than aegon like he is doing yeah. his things he's much more dutiful to helena and he's saying it's your duty she's supposed to be your wife you should treat her with respect and he's got all like he's got his own stuff going on. He's way more complicated. I did not think he was going to get the Sapphire Eye, though. I was like, that's a detail they're going to cut from the book. And they gave him that gemstone in the eye, which I thought was wild. I was almost wondering in episode nine if Aemond was going to be crowned king, because like that, that, it was a little confusing what was going on, because there was a lot going on in episode nine with hunting for Aegon and stuff. And Aemond, I don't know, it seemed like he might have made a play for the throne almost but uh he, he seems to want to be king yeah but yeah like i kind of had the mm-hmm. same thought that like is he going to do something to jeopardize aegon in this instance so he gets the crowd but he doesn't and i'm like what yeah. are you what's going on with you what are your motives and and, and with aemond being like a damon jr type character you can you can totally see it too and well especially with like him trying to control vagar and like even though aemon tries to style himself like daemon he can't control vagar uh as well as Mm -hmm. presumably daemon and uh God, Damon's dragon. I don't know. There's a lot of dragons. Tyrax. Yeah, yeah. Tyraxes, yeah. And so, like, that's very interesting. So I, I I, can't wait to see it, like, blow up in his face. Uh, and, like, it already it already kind of did in episode yeah. 10, right? Like, it's, it's going to be the onset of the war, right? That mistake. There's some scenes in episode 8 in particular um, going off the 
Eamon is kind of like a mini Damon, where Eamon is real interested in paying attention to Damon and what he mm. is doing. Uh, the first being the cutting off of Veyman's head. Uh, Eamon is very interested in that scene, and like they go to lengths to show the reactions of the three uh, of Allison's three kids that are there. And Eamon's just like, I'm watching all of this with interest. <laughs> and then all throughout the dinner, he's like, like he's paying attention to the kids, but he's also paying attention to Damon. And like, I really thought that there was gonna be something else after that dinner scene when Damon steps in and stops the fight. Like, I really thought there was going to be something more and there wasn't. But yeah, he's very interested in uh, emulating his his uncle. There, yeah. We were talking about memes earlier. There is a great meme where when uh, Kristen Cole and Eamon are looking for Aegon in King's Landing and they've got uh, I think I think Eamon is on a hood and they've got Kristen Cole in this brown suit and a cap and it's <laughs> looks just like uh, when Damon and Rhaenyra were in King's Landing, and it's like both of them dressing up as the person they're obsessed with. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've seen that. And, and both of them going to, like, brothels. Like, it's very, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of parallels in this show uh, yeah. That, yeah. that are quite interesting. Makes well, me want to rewatch the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Like, the parallel that occurred to me, what talking about the Damon and Aemond, like how they're kind of mirrors... It's interesting that Eamon has Visenya's dragon and Damon has Visenya's sword. Oh, and, interesting. And then going into like, like the Targaryens, there's these archetypes in Fire and Blood that show up again and again. Like, well, the main duality, right, is the greatness madness. Like, mm. are you going to be great? Or are you going to be crazy? But then within that, you have like the kind of good, like, peace king. You have like the, the good warrior king. Um, and then you have like the cruel warrior or like the vicious um, and then you and then like or the ineffectual cruelty. So it's like you're not a good warrior and you're also like just mean and blah, blah, blah. Trying to figure out, you know, what side of the coin all these different characters are going to fall on and, and the archetypes they're they're going through is. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Another. um parallel that I don't know if this was intentional, but I've seen a lot of people talking about it online, is um, in episode 10, like, uh, Eamon loses control of his dragon and is not able to stop Vagar from doing what Vagar wants to do. And the way that Eamon and Luke, to, to an extent as well, like, interact with their dragons is very different to how, like, the older cast members interact with their dragons. Yeah. And then there's also the scene of... Um, Damon going uh, to Vermithor, Vermithor, and like mm -hmm. Vermithon, I think I thought it was. Yeah, Vermithor. like be yeah. be like oh, really gentle and like singing to the dragon and Valyrian and like really being very respectful. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people online talking about the differences between that scene versus Luke and Aemond at the end, and maybe like part of the reason that they don't have control of their dragons is that they're not treating their dragons with the respect they deserve. Well, and it's also a cultural thing. Like, I think th this show has a lot of cool reminders that the Targaryens are not like ethnically um, Westerosi, like they're right. foreign foreigners. Mm -hmm. And you see it like in the wedding scene with Rhaenyra and Daemon and uh, some other oh, places. Right. True. 
and then also like returning to King's Landing and Alicent has like the the seven pointed star and she's kind of uh Westerosi sized um mm. her her Targaryens right like her mm. children are more culturally Westerosi interesting um yeah. whereas like Rhaenyra's side and Damon especially I think really leans into his like Valyrian heritage and keeps like those cultural things alive that's um, interesting I didn't uh pick up on that but it's like yeah that's totally what's happening right so I'm actually rewatching episode one at the moment very slowly and I didn't realize but there is a shot in episode one that is exactly the same as the shot in episode eight when they first arrive at King's Landing and there's the giant star in the hallway. Mm-hmm. There is the exact same shot in episode one to show the difference and like it hadn't quite hit me because I didn't pick up on the stars until further into episode yeah. eight the first time. But wow, yeah, like they, they have gone to lengths to try and mirror things in this. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, giving us a cool thing that we didn't get from Game of Thrones because the Targ like Daenerys was so cut off from her history mm-hmm. and her culture. And it also gives the Targaryens that like they are a little alien. Like they're part of Westerosi politics and everything, but they are kind of like removed and above. Like they're mm-hmm. it's it's really cool too because something that didn't show up in the books or in the show very much at all is that like there's a long history of the Targaryens and the Faith of the Seven not getting along. That was a mm. big conflict after Aegon the Conqueror. His his children dealt with that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And and the other aspect of it is that the High Towers live in the Rome of Westeros. They live oh. right by the Starry Sept, so they have always strongly been aligned with the Faith of the Seven. And so mm. Alison is both kind of making them more culture Westerosi, but also kind of pulling them even more further into alignment with the high towers yeah. and that whole faction. Interesting. Interesting. From the dark ages, like Martin pulls from history a lot from the dark ages. There's this, a whole series of Queens who have become saints. And basically what they did is they were Christian Queens who married into like pagan kingdoms and then like Christianized the, oh. the kingdom. And I just kind of see that, it's a little different because, like, if yeah. the seven is the Christianity equivalent, the kingdom is already like sevenized. Um, but Alicent is kind of, you know, bringing these pagan Targaryens with their like more ancient Valyrian religion into the faith by raising her children, the next generation, <sighs> um, in the faith of the seven. Fascinating. So, one thing that was very interesting with this show uh, is how how much time passes in the show, which is like very unusual and like we're recasting characters and stuff. And so I wanted to ask what you guys thought of the time jumps, because uh, it's it's obviously a very difficult thing to do well, right? I was fine with them, but also I started getting into the show when there was six, maybe seven episodes already out. Mm. So I didn't binge watch them with Eric. Like we did have some space in between them, but it wasn't like we waited a week in between each episode. So I think that helped with the time jumps is like just watching them closer together. Also knowing that they were going to happen did also help a lot. Uh, But overall, I was fine with the time jumps for most of the characters. I think they did very well uh, with 
Alicent, with uh, Rhaenyra, like with, with the, the older characters um, in the show. I wasn't as fond of the kids' time jumps, but like just in general, the time jumps I was okay with. The main like negative reaction I've seen out there to the time jump initially, like the first episode where the time jump happened, I think, is a lot of people fell in love, like love, love with Millie Alcock's uh, portrayal of Rhaenyra. Same. Um, which understandably, she killed it. And so I think for that reason, it took people a bit to warm up to... Um, why am I blanking on the... Emma Darcy. Emma Darcy. Emma Dar- uh, yeah. Their uh, portrayal of the character. But I think they got there, like both amazing embodiments of the character. And I think part of it was, I was thinking about this because I was like, when they're structuring this, Emma Darcy is the main actor for Rhaenyra. Like they cast them first and had them in mind. And then they were trying to match to them and got Millie Alcock, right? And so it's, you know, you would think of it more like if you were doing like a flashback, Millie would be like the flashback actor. But because of the way the series laid out, we were introduced to Millie first and like really got on board with her. But generally speaking, I think I, I've seen that Emma won people over in the end. And I certainly love their uh, portrayal of Rhaenyra. And. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, Emma, Emma's, I, Emma's pronouns are they them. That's right. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I like the time jumps. Like I said, I, I like the crown and I feel like they handle some time jumps in kind of similar uh, ways. And I've. I don't know, I like that it allows you to discuss kind of long term consequences more, you know, everything's not like so immediate. It's like, oh, this thing that happened isn't like going to turn into a war overnight, mm. but. Mm you know, it, it's going to come back to bite us uh, eventually. And being able to play into that is is cool. Mm-hmm. Something really interesting that I heard or read in an interview with Millie is that both Millie and, and I don't know her name, uh, the girl who plays uh, young Allison, they were told not to interact with the older um, actors for the same role because the show wanted them to be able to bring their own take to the role without unconsciously trying to mirror each other. And I thought that was very, very interesting because Mm -hmm. um, I do think that uh, Millie and Emma did very well at showing the progression of one person between two different actors. And I think the same for Alison's younger and older actors, uh, actors, actresses, as well. I think they did well at showing that it was still one person, even though they didn't actually interact all that much together. And I think that's a really good um, look, or or it's good feedback for like the director, like the director's obviously done very well at telling them the ways to do scenes so that things feel cohesive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also really enjoyed young Allison to older Allison. I think young Allison was Emily, Emily Carey, I think was her name. I don't yeah, know the name of name, older yeah. Allison off the top of my head, but she was so sympathetic. I was sad to lose her as well. 
but I thought the the Rhaenyra the the scene between the Rhaenyra time jump was the more noticeable one. But I thought it you know it clicked into place very quickly, so it wasn't really a big deal for me. I think I am like, and this goes into some of my concerns for the later series. I think that I could just watch like a political like drama just without even any of the battles. Honestly, is what I've learned watching mm-hmm. this. So I was like. We could have done a whole season one with the young characters and then gone yeah. to a season two with the old characters. And yeah. I don't know if that would have been the move for mass audiences. But if you're making a show for David, that's my <laughs> show. Like I will watch I can watch 20 episodes of Setup for a war and be very happy with that. But yeah, people might just complain about the pacing. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's that's not the median viewer, certainly. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but no, and when I came into it, I was really kind of you know, when they were pitching the show or I was reading like, oh, they're making a Dance of Dragons show. I was always like, where are they going to start this show? Because it's like a 30 year lead up. And I never really <laughs> thought they would do the time jumps. And I was really impressed with how well they did. I think that mm-hmm. my only complaint, I mean, not com- my not only complaint, my big complaint is I did not expect to like love the character of Harwin Strong as much as I did for the moments we saw him. Seriously. And I just wanted, I could have lived with, I just wanted to see him and Rhaenyra spend more time together. And like, we we got so little of like, basically him throwing her over his shoulder and pulling her out of the melee at the wedding Mm -hmm. to them having three children together and him dying. And I just really could have, you know, I, I, and his interactions with the boys and the yard. Like I, I loved all of that and I could have totally seen more of that. It was, it was so minimal that you're like, Oh, this character yeah. dies, and I'm like, oh no! Even though, like, and I've seen so little of him, and so brutally, like, so painfully yeah. that you're just like, mm. what? Holy crap! I agree. I do wish that there was more Howen Strong before the time jump because I didn't actually know who he was, and yeah. then the time jump happened. I was like, oh, Rhaenyra had Kristen Cole's baby. Like, that's oh, what right. I thought her first child was. I didn't know who Harwin Strong was at all. Um, yeah. So was just a bit confused with that. But mm-hmm. there, there was a great little interaction, um, I think, in that first time jump episode where one of the, I think uh, Jace is running around and it's like, I want to see the baby. And both Lenor and Harwin push him away at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I honestly can't even believe that Millie and Emma did not like converse because it's like they you 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 see the time jump uh Rhaenyra is giving birth uh, and just like all the lines and delivery it just it just feels like Rhaenyra and like it's almost inconceivable that they didn't like conspire and talk about their interpretations of the character because Definitely it was a bit jarring, but like what once they said a few lines, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's that's totally Rhaenyra, right? Like, no question. But it was definitely tough because I really loved Millie a lot, and she's adorable and was so great in the role. Uh so but like, wow, good, good job on recasting yeah. and making that feel consistent because there's so many ways for that to go horribly. Holy crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and, know that. Oh, go ahead. From, from the interview that they did with one of them with, I think it was Ryan Condal in the official mm-hmm. podcast. He was saying they had a lot more like ticks that they were going to make the characters sort of carry over. Like, you know, like they like behaviors or mannerisms that they were going to do. And they ended up deciding not to do most of them because they were like, oh, we just don't want it to feel too artificial. 
And mm-hmm. I, I think the only one that ever they said that we're going to carry through is that Allison with the biting her nails will yeah. continue. But mm-hmm. other than that, oh, does she like, keep doing really that? Yeah, she at least I don't know about the if you've seen it with the older one, but the younger one, she like oh the younger uh, one definitely yeah, yeah, yeah I just didn't um pick up on the older one doing uh, it interesting I don't know if she has yet but at least he says that's the plan is that that will okay. that will be a yeah. commonality well and what I really like with when they timed the change and the time jump is it really highlights I think the power shift between Rhaenyra and Alicent mm. because mm. Um, even after Alicent first has her son right with the younger actors Rhaenyra their dynamic is still very much like Rainier is the main character and Alicent is her sidekick and there's tension because she married her dad and stuff. But it, it still feels like it's like the Rhaenyra show. Um, and then you get to after the time jump and you have Rhaenyra just giving birth and feeling like I have to go to the queen yeah, because right. I barely have a handle on my position here. And if I do like anything wrong or if i'm not there to control how this interaction happens she's going to use it in some way so even though i just gave birth i'm gonna like limp up the stairs and like be there and and like obviously the queen just wants to see it's like ah the skin color of the baby right like that's 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 what allison wants right yeah Uh. yeah skin yeah and and it's and it sets up, I think, the sacrifice that Rhaenyra makes at the I think it's at the end of that episode where she decides to go to Dragonstone, like she decides mm-hmm. to leave King's Landing. Like it's like she's just in the time jump. This has been her life, like trying to keep a hold on things and like this power struggle. And mm. she's just like exhausted by it, which I think is the main difference between Emma and Millie's portrayal. Uh, portrayal of Rhaenyra is there's a level of like tiredness and exhaustion yes. in Emma's Rhaenyra and yeah. I think the circumstances just make total sense why uh, she would feel that way and would accumulate that with the scene of um, her going up to the queen after giving birth something I really enjoyed is like it's kind of setting Alison up as like the evil queen stepmother in that scene and then you get there and Allison's like first reaction is oh my god you just gave birth what are you doing like you, you shouldn't have come like you to sit down like take care of yourself like she still has that caring side to her so it, she yeah. doesn't immediately come across as oh she's just the bad guy now because yeah. there's more to it than that because of course she ends the scene with like the words to Lenor is like maybe the next one will look like, like you. So like she, she obviously still had a motive, but yeah, oh, has just really interesting character work. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, a more cynical person of Allison might think she timed that request, hoping Rhaenyra would not be capable mm-hmm. of showing up, so she could, you know remark upon the lack of resemblance a little more mm-hmm. freely uh, right. oh certainly i think yep. that was the i think that was the plan at least in my interpretation like you know like she's ripping the baby away from her mother's from you know from his mother's arms seconds after the birth like you know that that is not a nice thing to do 
no but but like yeah there, there is that caring side and it, it, mm-hmm. it's just like you you can like feel the weight of the the strain on that like ever since uh you know that whole scene where pre-time jump where Kristen admits that like oh i'm the one who who did this and just how that how that all went down was just so stressful because of course Kristen would yeah. he's the worst it, like it, allison's thinking something completely, completely different, different and then suddenly has this <laughs> confession out of nowhere that she wasn't expecting that yeah. scene was so mercifully done yeah I, yeah impressive yeah. how quick i went to hating Kristen. like I'm, I'm just just so impressive i'm like oh he yeah. seems like a good honorable guy and it's like yeah that's the problem he is like too, yeah. he's too on the honor side and, well yeah, and kind of and also like a little delusional like i'm yeah. sorry like you're like oh yeah the heir to the throne like i'm so like handsome and great it, that the heir to the throne is gonna run away with me because we're in love it is like, in, it is insane right like why would like, he think that right like come on yeah mm-hmm. like he yeah. has an inflated opinion of himself i think yeah um but that's yeah, I, because i forgot i think i said this before maybe but i forgot which side Kristen landed on in the book I, and I was actually thinking, I was remembering that Rhaenyra had like bastard children. So I was like, oh, yeah, Kristen, they're Kristen's kids. And that's what we're working up to. And then he flipped. And I was like, I forgot that he flipped. <laughs> and that he's like not a good guy and that we hate him. And then I was like, oh, yeah, OK. And it totally makes sense that he's like on Alice, like he's Allison's guy, yeah. you know, uh, like, oh, Although you could say, is he like really for Alicent or is he like anti Rhaenyra? Well, okay, that's a good point for sure. I, I think I both. Think much more anti. Yeah, I think it, it, it's definitely both at this point, but a lot of it is just like, this is the anti Rhaenyra team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, he's got like a, a worshipfulness of Alicent, though. Like, I think yeah. he's got like, like, she saved his life, and I feel like he's got like a little bit of a. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, like thank you. You know, like yeah. kind of his pseudo-religious thing that he does mm-hmm. where he's like, all women are created in image of the mother. And I'm like, Allison probably said that to you and you're parroting that back right now. Yeah. At that time that he said something uh that we can't say on YouTube uh about Rhaenyra. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, yes. A- <laughs> yeah. But but like even like before uh he and Rhaenyra uh break up let's say he has almost that worshipful tendency towards mm. Rhaenyra right like the, mm-hmm. this like deep profound respect so that that does kind of make me want uh to see that break off with Alicent and Kristen and just and him just go psycho because he totally would I feel like follow Alicent until she does something that he doesn't agree with or mm. believe in mm-hmm. and like that that's kind of Sort of what happened with Rhaenyra is like he wanted her to make a choice and she made another choice that he didn't mm-hmm. like. Right. And that kind of spiraled. Yeah, I think what it is is it's this he's repeating his mistake and putting someone on a pedestal. And what happened with Rhaenyra is as soon as she didn't live up to his yeah. image of her, yeah, it fell apart. And so, yeah, I think, though, that Alicent is a little more adept and comfortable being on a pedestal. Maybe not comfortable inwardly, but like I think she knows how to like 
use that. Whereas I think Rhaenyra was like at the stage when Millie was playing her, like, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to do what I want no matter what. And, you know, and, yeah, less uh, politically adept for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Allison, I think, feel and feels very trapped by that, where she's like, I can't I need to, like, keep up this appearance of perfection at all I times. Think, uh, yeah, I, well, I think she's using that. I think she's being dishonest with herself a little bit, too, because mm-hmm. so much of what she says about why she and her children should be favored is we are, you know, we must hope that honor wins out. My children are true born. This is the way of the realm and all this stuff. And then when it really comes down to it, when she's pissed and she's talking to Lara, she's saying like, oh, I wish my dad was hand. And he's like, why? And she's like, I want him to fa- like be partial to me. And that's really what it is. Like she at the core of it, she tells herself a lot about why she's doing this and all this stuff. But she wants her kids protected. She wants them on the throne and she wants things to happen for her. And she doesn't and want Rhaenyra's kids on the throne. Yeah. Right? yeah. And yeah. And I think that's one of the great ways they humanized Alicent is I really understood how afraid she was. And like the cultural thing plays into this too, because she's married to this older man in this family that is like kind of scary. And like, she's just a normal person, like a noble woman, Mm -hmm. but like a normal. And all of a sudden, like her kids are supposed to be riding dragons and like, and everyone's like, raw raw targaryen and she does have no one like one of her big people she relied on was rhaenyra and that relationship fractured Mm -hmm. and then she has viserys because rhaenyra's position is so tenuous constantly reaffirming rhaenyra and by doing so kind of dissing alicent and her kids yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then you know and even her kids looking very targaryen and like getting dragons of their own like how much of an ally does she see there? So I really like that sense of everything Allison is doing is like, she's in constant survival mode and like, it, it makes sense. Like I'm not sure anyone else wouldn't do like similar in her position, which is a sign of a good conflict setup in a story that you really understand the, like she she really feels like it's believable that she feels she has no choice but to do the thing she's doing. And initially mm-hmm. she was going to go down a different route because there's mm-hmm. the whole the episode with the wedding where she turns up in the green dress and it's the the call to war from Old Town and like basically her saying like I I do not want to be a part of this. Like I am going to fight you on this. And it I think it's only because kind of what happens with Kristen Cole and uh, like the death and the fact that Renera is married off immediately that she kind of switches tact and more takes over what she has instead of trying to rebel against it. Cause like she was pushed into it like from the beginning, this wasn't what she wanted and she's just trying to do the best she can with the situation she has. And I feel like she is digging the hole deeper by doing that, but I don't think she sees another way to approach the situation. Um, and until then we get the dinner scene, it's like, oh, maybe there is a way to reconcile. But there's such an interesting split during that scene where all of the adults are like, oh, maybe we can put this all behind us. And all the kids are like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, we're going we're gonna to kill each other now. Yeah. 
that is one of the best parts because you see the kids like just be kids early on you know like they're not in a faction Aegon is with Rhaenyra's sons they're playing a prank on his brother like all this stuff but and when the adults realize they need to pull back they have unleashed these forces they can't control they've put it into the next generation and it's too Mm -hmm. late for everyone to go like actually maybe we were being unwise because yeah, yeah. they're going to keep this fight going without them pushing on it. Yeah. And that's the masterful part of the time jump, how they pulled it off, I think, is it does show that like intergenerational conflict. And that because mm-hmm. like in the mid, mid middle episodes, yeah, you see it's not yeah drawn on the lines. It's like, oh, we're all picking on uh, Aemond and Aegon and Jace are like, you know, like it's just kids. Like they've picked someone mm-hmm. to pick on and it's not based on whose family is who. Yeah, and then you have like Kristen Cole and Harwin Strong in the training yard, like kind of like, yeah, saying like no, like your enemies, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the time jump forward and showing, yeah, and now these boys have gone through, you know, ten years of what we saw in that episode. Mm. So yeah, of course you can't. Mm-hmm. And they have their own resentments now with each other based on that they were encouraged and to have because of their parents. Mm -hmm. So even if their parents say, oh, yeah, we're friends now, they're like, yeah, but I'm still mad at him for that thing he did. Yeah. At your bidding. But yeah, it's so speaking of the kids, um, this is actually one of the criticisms that I have of the show that for what they were going for at the end of the season with Luke, I don't actually think that they built up the children quite enough to make it really impactful. I think they built Aegon, Aegon and Aemond up a lot, and I think that was good. But I don't think we got that as much for um, Rhaenyra's kids. Like, Jace, like, uh, maybe a little bit, but, like, if someone asked me to, like, describe, like, <laughs> Jace, I'd be like, I don't know, he's the oldest, I guess. <laughs> He was learning Valyrian. Like, I, I don't know anything about who he is. And Luke is even worse. Like, I, I, I know nothing about who Luke is, except that, like, he seems to be, like, a soft-hearted person. And that's not enough for me to care that he died. Like, What's the third I just son's wish name there was again? Joffrey. More. Joffrey. Yeah, the third one's Joffrey. Yeah. I um, agree with you totally, Jess. Like, Rhaenyra's son's... What's relevant about them is they don't look like their mom and they don't look like their dad. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's kind of it. <laughs> whereas, yeah. like Allison's, all even Helena, like all three of Allison's kids have like some really interesting, like distinct things going mm. on with them. Like they're yeah. more minor characters than like, y- you know, like not every character can be a fully fleshed out main character. But there's a lot yeah, of characters, def- right? Like, yeah, they definitely did a better job though of like making me interested in Allison's children, whereas Rhaenyra's kids, it's just like, okay, and there's three brothers and they just are kind of a lump together. Yeah. And yeah. And like, if you get to kill off characters, then I feel like people need to care about those characters first. And I just don't think that they did that well enough for Rhaenyra's, char- uh, Rhaenyra's kids um, in this season in particular. Like, maybe going forward, they will, but yeah. But I I could not really remember Luke's name when I watched episode 10. I was like, I know he's one of the children. I, I, I can't tell you his name. <laughs> um, which I feel like if, if I meant to care about this, then, like, I... 
I should have more to attach to by that point. I definitely agree that it could have been done better. I think there are other things that contribute to it as well that make it more obvious that that has happened. Like Allison's children are also messed up and a lot of them have like, you know, like there, there are more memorable things about them that occur and they are much more present and they're also older. So you get like a little bit more time with them, a little more time, like, and the show just spends more time with them, which is I think part of the problem. I think also like there's definitely something to notice there with how Allison and Rhaenyra are as mothers. You know, Allison is so distant and has like kind of really strained relationships with these boys. And I think that Rhaenyra's just kind of got like a little of a normal happy family and it's a little boring in terms of like the dynamic, you know, like it's nice, but it's not that exciting. But Allison's, you know, like pulling Aegon around by the ear and going, you are the challenge. And, uh, and Rhaenyra's like, you guys are going to be great kings, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, so that, there is like, yeah, there's some different, there's some different stuff going on there. And I do think they'll spend more time with Jays, but it, it was yeah. noticeable. Certainly. They're ju- they're just the good kids. Luke just, his character trait is get seasick. Doesn't want to be Lord of the tides. Cool. Uh, <laughs> like that's, that that's, that's about it really. And I, I think the scene with Luke dying, like I definitely felt his fear going to storm's end and just seeing, you know, Godzilla Vagar in the background, like, Oh, this is not going to go well. Is it? And it's like, yeah, no, it didn't. right away. Yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. away. Um, Although something to be said about how bad Rhaenyra's plan was of just, I don't know, just go talk to the Baratheons and give them nothing useful and just remind them. Whereas Alicent and Aemond are like, yeah, no, I'll marry, you know, your your daughter and things like not a great plan, Rhaenyra. But uh, really with Luke's death, like, yeah, it made sense. I don't really care that much about Luke. So I think that's why episode 10 felt a bit flat to me because I felt there was going to be a bigger climax and it was just his death. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really care mm-hmm. that much, but certainly seeing the last shot of Rhaenyra looking to the camera, it's like, Oh, this is where things are going to go down. Like yeah. that's, that's the real impact. Like this is the inciting incident of the yeah. massive conflict. Right. The, to compare to game of Thrones. Um, this is the Eddard Stark. Um, like Eddard Stark's uh, execution in the first season of Game of Thrones was the powder keg um, that set off that war. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can see like this is uh, here as well. Also, good guys die in Game of Thrones, I assume. Like, I think that's that's how this goes, that good guys suffer in Game of Thrones. So like, yeah, Luke dying. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like my takeaway from that scene is that Aemond screwed up and realized uh, that he screwed up way too late like that's yeah. what i take away from that scene not although oh, was a character that died oh no yeah. anyway um <laughs> but it, it, it's it's interesting too though i wonder if part of why they're less interested in interesting as well as like talking about that intergenerational thing i think of all the characters rhaenyra does the best about not passing that on to her kids mm-hmm. like she seems to be like this is my um my fight and like she does like like some things but it seems like it's less direct and it's more like these other people encouraging the conflict on on her end um yeah i would agree with that yeah for sure speaking speaking of uh the, the the high towers uh another character who goes from i really like this character and they have their head on straight 
Otto? Wow. Like, <laughs> it, to be fair, though, Otto is very consistent. He's like, the kingdom will not accept uh, a female, like, in charge, right? Like, he, they will not. And so I have this entire long term plan and it's like, wow, by the time Otto comes back, I'm like, wow, I do not like you anymore. <laughs> like, ooh, ouch. He he's he that's his belief, but he does nothing to try to help his king no. who has made a decision and he decides to put his own blood on mm-hmm. in line. He is a he, second son and a striver and he is just like I anything I get. I'm going to make for myself. And he worms his way in there. I yeah. hate him so much. And, yeah. and he gives and he himself a conflict of interest. Yeah. Like, immediately. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> like it is the same day or something like that. Emma dies that he, it's like, Alison, go to the King. Like it, he immediately did yeah. it. And the other thing is stress. like, if he was like, Oh, for the good of the realm, a male heir, like they were pushing the King to marry. And like the best for the realm thing would have been to him to marry Lena. And then he wouldn't have ticked off Lord Corliss. No yeah. one would have questioned it. They still would have had the potential to have sons. But he wanted Allison specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. He has his whole speech where he's like, I do not, you know, I do not envy you, my king. You know, like, yeah. oh, God. It's yeah. Interesting. Rewatching the beginning of it because definitely the first time I watched it, I didn't pick up on a lot of the subtleties that he was doing and mm. very much was like, oh, he just like is kind of a stand up guy who's just trying to do his best. And then they sent him away. And like rewatching the first episode now, I'm like, oh, you were like, you are such a slimy person. <laughs> What's <laughs> and just doing oh, so much of the background? <laughs> What's interesting, and I'm still not sure how it plays into anything, but in the book, and I think it's maybe mentioned briefly in the show, Alicent also like kind of played nurse to Viserys's grandfather, like the old king, um, in his final oh. days. Oh, okay, interesting. And it was like, what's that about? Like, like what is huh. it? Is that like just like a throwaway? Like, oh, like. She's very caring for the elderly. <laughs> I don't I don't if it got mentioned in the show, I might have missed it. I, okay. My impression I was that, that that became her caring for Viserys. And that okay. was their adaptation that they did. Because they aged her down and then like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think I don't think she could have been. I don't think she was born yet when we unless when we. Or see, she would have uh, been maybe she would have just maybe been a child. Yeah. And yeah, very young yeah. at least. It is so crazy that that is a change that happened from the book to the show of aging down Alicent because it just worked so well for the entire yeah. emotional core conflict of the, everything. Like, wow, what mm-hmm. a great change. What a great. And I didn't even remember it was a change at first until I like went back. And and so the book does say like. Initially, Alicent and Rhaenyra got along, but Alicent is like 10 years older and is her like stepmother like so they had a like good relationship before all the drama started happening but it wasn't a it was a stepmother relationship it wasn't a friendship so putting it as a like friendship and a very close one and i don't know depending which headcanons you have maybe a little more than a friendship um i know some people definitely got those vibes and Uh, apparently Um, so did the actors during their scenes (laughs) yeah well also like um there's lots of memes on tumblr about like 
Alicent, what's gayer? Alicent keeping that book page for 20 years or like Rhaenyra remembering it after, you know? (laughs) It's true. I I have a theory about adaptations that the changes that work best heighten the tension and drama. And like this is aging down Alicent to have that friendship deteriorate is exactly that. Same with like, I think, making the valerians uh black like that raised the tension like immediately mm-hmm. or i guess it's a little more subtle but and yeah. another thing i'm thinking of is like in the show shadow and bone they changed the ethnicity of the main character and that really cha- added to her conflict mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. adding to that yeah. drama i think that those are the best sorts of changes i yeah. think another good example of that was how different they made king viserys from the book and the book oh, yeah. he is very boring he's not like he kind of is like he's dying but he's kind of just got gout and he's just like a little boring and mm-hmm. not really like he's just kind of asleep at the wheel like and he's <laughs> that in the show as well yeah but for sure he and uh, so much of it was the actor but i really thought they made him much more interesting much more dynamic and just like you could see him like trying so hard to hold things together even mm-hmm. imperfectly and failing he like i i saw that george r martin texted the actor and was like your Viserys is better than my Viserys he wrote a blog post and said I'm thinking of rewriting fire and blood to make him more like the book like not really or not like the show not really but I want to yeah. like I mean yeah it, that that's if if you were the author and you see Patty constant it's like just totally kill it it's like yeah, yeah dude like you 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 knocked it out of the park there it's um it's really fun watching the um reactions online from episode one to episode 10 because so many people in like the first two episodes maybe are like i don't know about this king character i don't i don't know how i feel about him or this acting it's just not really doing much and then like you get to like episode nine no eight and it's like wow this is the best character in this entire show. I have never seen better acting in this show than this one character. I know. Chill's just thinking Daniel about Green's it. videos in particular, like I listened to all of his reaction yeah. ones back to back and like he really went from the, mm, I don't know, to this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He... Patty Constantine did so well with that role. Like he, he really... He made a character that is not very interesting or relatable someone that you care about. Yeah. And that is not easy to do. And I think the really compelling thing about him is he sees what's going on. Like, he's not an idiot, right? He sees what's going on, but he, like, he he loves everyone involved. Yeah. Like, he... He does have favorites. Like, yeah. he yeah. likes Rhaenyra more than his kids with Allison. Uh-huh. Like, that's very clear. That's probably But you genuinely, genuinely feel he's like, this is my family. And I'm so concerned that I'm going to die and they're going to start killing each other. Like, in mm-hmm. those later episodes. Like, you really yeah. get that, like, weight that he's struggling under. And even just the fact that he's, like, struggling to stay alive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it is heightened by the knowledge that it's not just, oh, like, you know, I'll die and the throne will go to the next person. It's like, I have not finished the, like, peace building, the, like, Mm. rectification of this conflict in my family. Mm. And if I don't do that before I die, it's, you know, not going to stop. 
and he mm, just can't. Yeah. Very tragic. Um, it, it's but great. horrifically tragic. Tragic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of reminds me um, a, a comment that I've mentioned to Eric before. Going back to Otto, uh, uh-huh. it's really interesting in that scene in um, episode episode eight where he's like, "I want to have a dinner with my family. Don't give me milk with the poppy uh, because I want to be present and mm-hmm. like be able to do this." And knowing that the succession thing was happening that day, it's really interesting that Otto didn't slip him milk with the poppy because he, he could have, he, he could have slipped it to him anyway. And it's like, Oh, whoops. Oh, well, I guess you can't like go to the thing where like we're talking about successions and you just can't interfere there. And he could have done that and he would have changed things so much and it's so interesting that he didn't because I feel like in uh, mainstream Game of Thrones that happened a lot more where it's like yeah but don't trust me because I have like my own motives and I'm just gonna backstab you all the time whereas it didn't happen here what what's interesting about these characters I think is they really establish they're coming out of peacetime and there's a real I think expectation that like social conventions hold well, like we talked about this, like with Luke going to the Baratheon, like how Rhaenyra didn't offer anything. Right. But I think she's coming from a place of Lord Baratheon's honorable. He said he would support me. And True. so I'm going to expect that he's going to support me and that I, I don't have to rely on anything else. And I think mm-hmm. Otto, what's interesting is despite his ambition, I think he does hold like the throne, the crown, the king and Viserys specifically in very high self-esteem and there is lines he will not cross for his ambition. He'll do all this stuff behind the scenes, but he won't like directly oppose. Yeah. The king. Mm -hmm. says, I'm sitting on the throne. It's like, okay, I guess you are. then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I liked Viserys early on. Like, I, I mean, I didn't love him, but like, Seeing in episode eight, just like Damon and Rhaenyra coming in, and you can see how crushed Damon is by seeing Viserys like on his deathbed. And mm-hmm. it's just so tragic and sad. And you can see it on Damon's face. Damon and Viserys' mm-hmm. relationship, so great. And we see it with him walking up the throne. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Well, and the mirror with their relationship, how like. At first, you know, the big tension is it's like, does Damon covet the throne? Mm. And it's like, no, Damon always wanted to, like, make his own way and be his own, like, important. Like, the tension wasn't that he wanted his brother's throne. The tension was his brother had the throne and he had nothing but what his brother was, like, giving him. To have the scene at the end where, or near, near the end where, well, first you have the stepstones after the stepstone scene where Damon comes in with the crown and then puts it before Viserys and, and yields. And the big thing mm. with that was he had to conquer them before Viserys sent help because he's like, I need to conquer this yeah. on my own. Right. And then I'll submit to my brother. But my brother can't come in and clean this up for me. Um, and then going to the end, uh, when he helps him up the steps and puts the crown on his head, it's just like. 
so beautiful. And I'm not sure if this is true, but I've read somewhere that the crown on the head was improvised, like it accidentally fell off. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't write that. Like, like that. Like it was so like, did you go back then and make make that work? Because it was such a good scene. Like, yeah, you can't imagine it without that. Right. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely have like read and like listen people talk about it, too. And I think part of the dynamic there as well is that Damon like really wants his brother to like trust and respect him. Mm -hmm. And I think in his perfect world, he wants to be hand of the king and he's not. He's not like mature enough for that. He's too mercurial and kind of all over the place for that to happen. And so he keeps doing things to get back in Viserys's good books, but he can't like really stay there because he'll always just end up, he ends up messing it up for himself again. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that also feeds into what I think is the most relatable of Otto Hightower's motivations, which is that he's like, we cannot have Damon anywhere near the throne. And I think that is a very reasonable fear to have. <laughs> yeah. It's reasonable and advice in episode feel, one and two. <laughs> yeah, I would feel very similarly. And but no, they they crushed it. I, I lo- especially love when they show up and it, Damon's like almost fussing over Viserys. Like he's like sniffing the medicine. And he's like, you're drugging him. Like yeah. and like all this, like when he when he hears that he's dead, his first thing is they killed him. I know they yeah. killed him. Yeah, exactly. He he just can't believe that like his brother dies. It's like obviously someone killed him. Mm-hmm. And oh, one more little minor thing that I saw people talk about. I think this was on like one of the podcasts I've listened to when he's crowning Rhaenyra and he's holding his brother's crown in his hands and he looks at it for a moment and there's like an interpretation there. Like, does he want to crown himself? Does he want to mm-hmm. like, what does he want to do with this? But the one that I really liked is he's looking at it and he just put this crown on his brother's head two days ago or whatever. And yeah. now his brother's dead. And I just love that read of that scene where he's just like, he almost can't like, this is the proof that his brother's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah like, uh, I, I hadn't thought of him agree. crowning Rhaenyra as a like fourth echo of yeah. him submitting, like, like for all his, um, kind of megalomania or like whatever Damon has going on he has only ever surrendered the crown and for all like Otto's fears of him becoming king he's only ever like I I very much agree with like what you were saying about how Damon just wants his brother's attention and praise and he just wants to help his brother but his brother does not trust him Mm-hmm. So it's this like awful cycle of like Damon trying to do things to show that he's trustworthy, but those things are making his brother trust him less. And yeah, I, I think you're right. Like I think if uh, Viserys had just given Damon like hand of the king, that things would have gone a lot smoother than they actually did because I think that's all he wanted. He didn't. I don't think he wanted the crown. I think he wanted to be that person that Viserys fully lent on for support and Viserys never gave him that. And I think that like when he um, marries Rhaenyra, like I think he's trying to do the same role with her. Like, I don't think he was ever trying to get the crown through Rhaenyra. I think he just wanted to be that person who was, always in her corner and always Mm -hmm. supporting her that she Mm -hmm. could a hundred percent believe in and lean on and i i loved watching the scenes of the crowning because that it it definitely came through to me in in that way so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i 
I almost wonder if that same sort of tendency that like Damon is acting out because he wants Viserys's approval. That really reminds me of like Aegon and, and Aemond, right? Because they, they we don't really see it on screen at all what their relationship was like with Viserys. So it's sort of implied but it really feels like Viserys was not really involved with those uh, mm-hmm. sons at all, really, I right? I thought that he was their father. Yeah, like no, it, several yeah. episodes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like it, and it just reminds me of that same sort of thing where, like, no, I, I want to get this person's approval, and I'm just getting nothing out, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's so ironic too because these are the sons. He literally killed his wife for basically, you know, and, mm. he, and now he has them and he doesn't he's not even interested. But yeah. Yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to say about Damon and Viserys was I think and it ties into when Rhaenyra brings up the prophecy with yeah. Damon and Damon yeah. chokes her, which is a really <laughs> tough scene to watch. But I I love when you can like learn more about a relationship even after one of the characters is gone. And we learn that Viserys never told Damon about the prophecy and Damon yeah. was his heir. For many, many years, yeah. Damon was his heir, and he never trusted him enough to tell him that. And I think, like, Damon does believe, you know, dra- you know, his whole dreams didn't make us kings, dragons did. But I think part of his volatility in that moment is his feelings are hurt. Yeah. And Rhaenyra, yeah. and Rhaenyra kind of scoffs at him for a second, too, like, rightfully, like, oh, he never told you? <sighs> yeah. And, but I think that's half of what happens there. Apparently, uh, they actually tried to film a scene several times, I think, of Viserys attempting to tell Damon about the prophecy, and they just had to scrap it because it never worked. Like, it it just, the characterization in it never worked because Damon would just, like, scoff at it and leave. Like, he he wouldn't believe any of it. So, they, like, they just couldn't put it in in the end. Amazing. I I think also the thing with, uh, Damon, it's interesting to see a character that's so like firm and unchangeable in some ways. Like he is what he is and who he is throughout, but he still does have an evolution. Like, mm. you know, thinking about it, like Viserys making him hand at the king, yeah, would have avoided a lot of things. But the Damon he was when he could have been made hand of the king at the beginning would not have been a good that like wouldn't yeah. have been a good decision then right no. um like no, it, wouldn't. It, it and that's part of the tragedy too is like the timing like there's periods when damon would have made a good hand of a king but because yeah. like i think in the first couple episodes the first episode like i kind of got the sense that you know viserys maybe would have wanted to make his brother hand or like wanted to find a place for his brother but mm-hmm. just like Damon's just so out there that it's like I, yeah, I, he's like, it I would can't. be so irresponsible. Yeah, and well, because he's like he's messing up like Lord of the Watch and like all these other posts. Like I can't, obviously, can't trust him with. It's interesting though because I don't actually think he messed up Lord of the Watch. Like if anything, he he made it better. But I think people on the small council, yeah, 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 on the small council and particularly Otto framed it that he messed up the watch because like he created the gold cloaks right which like Mm -hmm. carried through to the time of game of thrones as being like this yeah special force and like yeah they were like very violent with like what they did but they were also like combating crime and like stopping violence in king's landing 
And I think the in the first episode, I think he says something um, at a small council meeting. It's like, you don't understand how people see King's Landing outside of the castle. Like, it mm-hmm. is not a safe place outside of the castle, but you don't know that because you live here. And when the scene starts, it's Otto walking in being like, Damon can't be trusted. You can't like let him do anything. And then like suddenly Damon's actually at the small council. It's like, oh, you mm-hmm. said that in front of him. And he's like, so what were you saying about me? Keep going. Um, but I, I actually think he did well with the watch and it was, it was more other people trying to push him out as well. I think what you're saying really highlights a key to Damon's character in that like he's a warrior and he's good in war. Like like, like when violence is the answer, Damon is your guy. Like, like he he made the gold cloaks. You're right, like highly effective. But I think the concern with him was they're very loyal to him and him misusing them, like using that harsh like if the gold cloaks were ever needed, um, like really needed to do what they're doing when they're like cleaning out the slums in a like more like necessary way like putting down like an actual like rebellion or something i think they would have been really effective and they would have been like oh yeah damon you did a great job with this but i think they're worried about the issue is gold cloaks right and things like that yeah and the fact Mm -hmm. that he's like using them against like civilians Mm -hmm. and like kind of punching down on uh like you know poor people and stuff and and the unpredictability of him but i agree and that's why i think the the end scene with him and rhaenyra those scenes are interesting because he kind of is like this is my moment like we Mm. are going to war like this is the time when my leadership style is what is called for (laughs) yeah right Um, yeah and then like having that conflict between him and Rhaenyra where Rhaenyra is, I need to be both. Like I need to be Damon and I need to be prepared to go to war and I need to be um like cunning and formidable. Like I need to be the Rhaenyra who faced down Damon over the dragon egg. Mm. But I also need my father's wisdom to like hold that as a like last resort. Yeah. Um is it's cool. It it really is. And I think that you're right, Jess, though, I, that Otto is always prying at the king and Damon. He's trying to yeah. drive them apart mm. all the time. Mm. And the other time that really comes up is the whole air for a day thing. When yeah. he brings that report back to the king, when, you know, uh, Damon is at that bar and he kind of holds up and he does a toast, the heir to oh, the day, right. the boy that died. And I think like when you don't see him say the words, which I love, because that sort of thing is that that phrase could be a joke or it can be like you know a toast to a boy that lived only a day like kind of the tragedy of an heir for only a day and you hear it out of Otto Hightower's mouth and it's the worst version of those words it is not yeah in Damon's whole posture in that scene leading up to it is he's not laughing it's not a party he's just had another failure with what's her face Miss Aria I think it was and he's giving a toast and and he's not laughing. He's not making it, it, it. It's a sad moment in my read of that scene. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. This makes you just and want what, to rewatch the whole show just to see the sub, <laughs> all the subtext. Is so interesting. What's also interesting, what I'm thinking of that is the 
comparison then to Rhaenyra because Otto does the same thing like he tries to drive a wedge between mm. Viserys and Rhaenyra and mm. so with Damon he brings the heir for a day and it collapses the relationship with Rhaenyra he brings the like rumors of her like uh sleeping with mm. Damon but it's then Viserys is like but then but then Viserys is like whereas for Damon he trusts Otto mm. and you know banishes or like you know cuts Damon off when it comes to his own child, to Rhaenyra, he's like, no, Otto, you've gone too far. Yeah. And like, it's interesting that Otto is like kind of, I hadn't thought of this before, but he's basically doing the same thing he did to Damon yeah. to Rhaenyra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just yeah. underestimates the like father-daughter uh, bond. Man, totally screw Otto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otto. What I get out of the show is screw Otto, screw Kristen Cole. Like, yeah. the two people well, actually, I call you shouldn't deny. screw Kristen Cole, honestly. Yeah. That's a bad choice. That. <laughs> uh, but, and also, pour one out for the best hand of the king ever, Lionel Strong. Seriously. A loyal man who only gave Viserys good, good consistent, non personally motivated advice. And the second he had a personal conflict, tried to quit. And then he yeah. died. <laughs> yeah, and then he died for his pain. But so I wanted to uh, touch on Damon and Lena's relationship before we mm. move on because I found it really interesting and fascinating because I really felt like he cared for Lena and for his two children, and there there's just some really interesting scenes that come up, like when Lena's trying to give birth. He is there. He is in the room with her and like seeing her in pain. And it's another parallel to the first episode where Viserys is talked to by the Macers, like, we either like cut her open or she dies. And like Damon is given the same question yep. and he doesn't answer it. And like I took that as like he was basically like saying, like, don't. Don't mm -hmm. cut her open. Um, and of course, Lena then goes and has her own death by her own means. But mm -hmm. I found that really interesting because I think it really affected Damon and really colored how he acts going forward. And we're talking before about times that he would be a good hand of the king. And I think like after his relationship with Lena, like he has calmed down quite a bit. Like he is still an agent of chaos, but he's not as unpredictable, I think, as he is at the beginning. Like he has, he's had some more years, he's had some more wisdom, he has grown up a bit. And I think he would have made a really good hand of the king at that point. But moving on further from that, we have um, episode 10, where Rhaenyra. I forgot her name, Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra goes into labor. And I've seen like three or four different um, interpretations of this scene online and it's fascinating to me i love reading different interpretations mm -hmm. of scenes but the fact that damon doesn't go to renera when she is in labor and like she's actively calling out for him and he's not going to her like he's planning this war instead and watching that scene all i could think is like him being in that room with Lena when she's not able to give birth and she is going to die, and there is nothing he can do. And that meaning that he just, he can't, he can't be in the room with Renera 
because what if it happens again? Mm-hmm. What what if he has to go through it again? And he's he's just got like that that avoidance thing now, where it's like, oh, this thing is going to cause me pain, so I avoid it as much as possible, so it doesn't do that. And oh, that was just such an interesting scene to watch because I could feel the pain from it. And I've seen a couple of different interpretations online that aren't this one, but that that just really stood out to me because his reactions and relationships with Lena in the early episodes was something that really stuck with me and the way he interacted with her and with her, like with his kids. So yeah, I, I, I think that really changed him and, and really affected him going forward. Yeah. I I do think he cared for Lena quite a bit. I don't know. I I think he might have held a candle for Rhaenyra even still, but I do think he that that there was love there and you could see it. I I like that interpretation that he doesn't want to be in the room and I feel like part of it is to like planning the war is something he can do. He can yeah. he can man the guards, he can send the dragons out, he can make sure that Otto doesn't send a party ashore and assassinate her as Otto tried to do earlier. Mm-hmm. And but he can't save her. You know, he can't do that. And he also knows that she's modeling. She might say to him, Damon, don't start this war. And he's like, I really want to start this war. So <laughs> I'm going to do what I can do. And sh- and I'm just going to avoid this for now. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. do the thing I feel powerful doing, not the thing mm-hmm. that I'm going to feel powerless mm-hmm. during. Mm-hmm. And. Like from Rhaenyra's perspective, that scene, I think, is a really cool callback to the first scene after the time skip yep. when she's again, like she needs to be in the room when Allison is seeing her son for the first time, because she needs to be holding Allison accountable. And once again, we have like this, um, you know, birth motherhood situation where there's a room where all this stuff is happening and she can't be in it. And you know, and well, and even in that scene after she gives birth, she goes to the small council meeting right after and her milk comes in and it's this big like embarrassment. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like this tension of her. Right. Trying to prove that being a female leader in this society can work. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, her, her like struggling with that because of how people treat. Um, you know, motherhood and and stuff in, in that society. It's- Apparently that was a big thing that they wanted to show is mm-hmm. the struggles that women go through giving birth and the pains that they go through giving mm-hmm. birth. Cause we've had multiple birth scenes in mm-hmm. the show now. Yeah, um, it's brutal. The, yeah. The, the, they're brutal. Um, the, the other thing that I just remembered is like, the the daughter that she has that is a stillbirth, like she names Visenya, mm-hmm. which is the same name that she suggested to her mother Emma for the oh, child that she was carrying. Was if it was a girl, I forgot about that. Depressing. I learned that when I watched the first episode the other day, and I was like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I think overall, I really liked the like the power shifts and dynamics between Rhaenyra and Damon and like her and also Rhaenyra's struggle with like her femininity and rulership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that didn't work for me about the choking uh, scene is it felt it felt like it crossed a line from like women 
have more problems being in power because of like society and more like, oh, we're just not going to let there be like a commanding woman. Like if there is a commanding woman, she needs to be like put in her place to some extent. And I thought they handled the scene okay in that she does kind of reassert her dominance. And then we have the crowning and, you know, like, so there's lots of other signals where Rhaenyra is like living up to that standard, but yeah, like like it just kind of bordered on well because it it is like domestic violence, right? And yeah, I was like, absolutely. is this like is this relationship really the story where you have to examine that, or can we have an example of you know? Because like we have Rhaenyra struggling with like being pregnant and um, like all these different things. Like, do we really need to put this on her place plate? Uh, as well that's but. that's true uh i i'm very interested to see how their marriage like evolves during uh mm-hmm. the war and things yeah. because uh it's clear that damon really cares about rhaenyra and yeah. i think rhaenyra really cares about damon but yeah that that is definitely a line and i think the showrunners are like deliberately like doing that mm-hmm. you know so i don't know mm-hmm. how that's gonna evolve uh later because i haven't read fire and blood yeah uh I- and I think what made the scene work for me, though, is the interpretation of it's not about his and Rhaenyra's dynamic, actually. It's not mm. him, like, lashing out at her. It's him feeling betrayed by his brother. Like, when yeah. I read about that and thought, thought about it that way, I was like, okay, this... It's him snapping there. It makes like... it work more for me because it's not about them and it's not a comment on their relationship. It's actually about Viserys and it's just being like acted out between them and, and so that I don't know made it feel a little more um, I got the sense that it wouldn't be an ongoing thing that it really mm-hmm. was like yeah. a this is a very particular moment that this has mm-hmm. happened in yeah. but yeah I never got the sense that like going into season two we'll see more domestic violence yeah. like I, mm-hmm. I don't think the show is looking to explore that um, at mm-hmm. least in this relationship and, or yeah, or that there was a history. Like I didn't. She yeah, just yeah. seemed like she's constantly walking around eggshells on Damon. Like he's no. clearly able of violence. She seemed, as we saw, but you know, yeah. like I don't think that's in their dynamic generally. Yeah, Agreed. yeah, because like I think they established this thing where she like meets his energy. Like they're both fire. Like like from the first episode, right? So just to mm-hmm. like have this all of a sudden be a dynamic where like she's almost a victim. I'm like, no, like like if anything, she should like like choke him back or something right like mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um i i was of two minds of it but i think in the end that part kind of uh ended up working for me i did also like with the three birth scenes that we ended with rhaenyra's where i felt like she had a lot of agency there mm-hmm. um i'm not a woman but i did just have a baby recently so all the like birth scenes were like hmm. pretty stressful yeah i, I imagine they would be as someone yeah. with like a baby so i can only imagine like a woman who's gone through pregnancy um i'm guessing it was pretty hard to watch and for some parts i was kind of like did you need to lean into this so hard like it's brutal to make that point mm-hmm. and i did like though that we went from a place of emma like, Ama had no agency, and I really didn't like that, so I liked in the subsequent ones that we increased. Like, Lena did have more agency, and she was able to, like, 
choose her own path. And then Rhaenyra is basically like in complete control uh, through her her birth scene, even though like, you know, it's the same story, like a difficult birth, a difficult pregnancy that, you know, pretend isn't going well. Yeah. Uh, I did like I didn't like how they handled it at the beginning, but then when it became part of this, like. It's, it's like intentional um, yeah. that they're doing it yeah. that way, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It would have been a problem if they would have kept doing that again and again and mm-hmm. being like, oh, another guy needs to decide between his yeah. life. Like, yeah. that yeah. would have gotten old quick, but... Apparently, yeah. the the birth scene with Emma, uh, as stressful as it was in the episode, from what people have said, like, who were on the show, it was so much worse, like, during filming, and the the filming that they took was so much worse than what ended up in the episode, which is really alarming. Yeah, uh, I definitely had to look away from, like, Rhaenyra's birth. Uh, see, like, the that last one. Uh, like, oh, yeah, that was too. Uh, too much. Uh, it, it, it's brutal. Pregnancy, birth, yeah. it's very brutal. Mm-hmm. I, I like I that it's intentional, that, at least. Yeah, it's intentional. Mm-hmm. David? Yeah, I was going to say, I do think that you know, you can, I think we, you can quibble with, or not quibble, but you can like make statements about like the extent to which what, like what you want to show, like how much violence, but I do think it does do a good job of highlighting how comfortable we are with just the casual violence of Game of Thrones versus this. Like it is something that they have, like, you know, we see people <laughs> yeah. chop yeah. heads off, like the, especially the tourney versus Emma's birth. Like that was, yeah. you know, like, you know, pretty standard Game of Thrones violence, which I also don't enjoy. And you're like, yeah. man, it's so much harder to watch Emma's birth, though, for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, Chad chopping down, whatever. Society. Game yeah. of Thrones, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> what I also liked about, um, so, sorry, I know this topic keeps expanding, That's but okay. like with Rhaenyra's yeah. arc, uh-huh. um, like coming out so, like, because she's kind of like scared of, um, like getting married and having kids after what happened to her mom and part of her resistance to having a partner or like having a marriage arranged as she knows the expectation. Yeah. And then having her come full circle to being like, this is what happened to my mom. This is my worst fear. And I am, I'm handling, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think like, and even her, like not accepting the support of other people. Like it was, heartbreaking i was like let them help you but at the same time i got it where she's like she got to a place where she's like i can get through this and then she said i don't want anyone else to mess this up because this is my worst fear and so i feel like you know it's yeah yeah I am glad in this case that uh, the show did make some changes to that because i'm pretty sure in the book she is uh giving birth for three days that that Ooh. sounds like a great adaptation change. That's like we don't need that to happen mm-hmm. for three days. That's that's not. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's not do that. Yeah. So I I think also like going back to the choking, mm-hmm. the big thing that bothered me about it is it following on the heels of the scene with Laris and Alicent. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it like, and in hindsight, I think the Laris Alicent scene was more. Um, made me angrier than the Damon Rhaenyra scene, but I was just more in a position to be that way because the previous episode had kind of set me up. Laris is a really interesting character, first off, I want to say that. Um, but mm-hmm. 
I felt like the foot fetish scene um, mm-hmm. and nothing against foot fetishes. I see people online being like, oh, you're OK with incest, but you don't like foot fetishes. And it's like, <laughs> it's not about that. Um, like fetishes, whatever, you know, I, I think it's good. It's another example, though, of like we've seen this whole ep- and especially it happening in episode uh, nine um where you see like this is Allison's kind of like moment and she's like stepping in and she's like she's dealing with this she's at the top she's the top viper in a den of vipers and she's like trying to like stick to her values and do all this and like taking charge right even challenging like her father and then just having this moment of oh to command Laris's loyalty she needs to give in to his like sexual ideas about her as a person where I'm like Laris should have just been loyal to the queen because of who she is like why does she need to exploit that element in order to command his like respect and his loyalty especially when I really liked how they had developed their relationship like up until that point of him like kind of being in her corner and pushing her boundaries a bit in terms of, you know, if you want me to do whatever to get you what you want, I will do it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then to just have it come down to, oh, but only if you show me your feet. I thought it kind of like. So I have a lot of thoughts about that scene. because yeah. There's a lot of discussion uh, about <laughs> about that one. And I got to be honest. I think that was a good scene. Uh, like I can understand <laughs> the discomfort and I totally see what you're saying, Matt. But and like, I will say I uh-huh. liked how the scene was constructed, like the her gradually like, yeah, like from a film standpoint, it was filmed very well. I thought it was well done. I mean, everything is filmed very well in this show, I feel like, like, except maybe the darkness where the, I literally can't see what's happening. That That's less great. But other than that, yeah. it really showed how their relationship has gone. And to me, I interpret this as Allison knows Laris. It, Laris? How, how the Laris. 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 Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison knows that Laris is like really dangerous. Uh, and like it is so important that he is at her command that she is willing to do this to make that happen. And so that is my interpretation that like he will just burn Harrenhal and the Strongs not even under a direct order. And so like Allison needs to keep a really tight leash on on this extremely dangerous person. Uh, and to, to me, that makes a lot of sense personally that uh, it, it could evolve that way. Um, I, I agree that it is uh, distressing and disturbing, but I guess that's just what I expect from Game of Thrones just from osmosis and hearing about it. So I'm like, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, but but I, I think the issue is how gendered it is. It's like, sure, say move ahead a generation and it's, you know, Jace versus Aegon and uh, Larry's you're needing to ensure Larry's loyalty. Um, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't put a male character in that position where as an example of them doing everything it takes to keep this person on the leash. That that's fair. It, it also you know? just helps with like, uh, 
Laris is not trustworthy or good, and he's very skeevy. So, like, it adds to that character development for sure. I think yeah. it reinforces I I, I, Well, but that's another like <laughs> we're equating like so he like has a disability, and then we give him this like fetish and then we're kind of equating that with like he's not a good person sure that's fair yeah you know like it's like oh this is a creepy guy with a you know a bad leg and he's also creepy because he doesn't have like vanilla tastes like i don't know i i didn't like how they were using it in that scene and i yeah but he i just thought it was unnecessary and i really liked where that scene was building otherwise and then it got to the end and i was just like mm, i'm not mm-hmm. David? i think that i was really interested in laris because he's a, he's one of the characters in the book that is the most mysterious like he murders his okay. whole family right like which was something we didn't even know for sure that he'd done when you read the books it was mysterious what had happened in heron hall but i I, and I was really interested in the early dynamic they set up where, you know, he's sitting with the women of the court and he's like, oh, the gods didn't build me for war, you know, or whatever. And so but he's there doing his spy thing, which I thought was really fascinating. And I think it's partially because we don't like with him and Allison, we really have like three or four scenes. Like we have yeah. the initial him giving her the tip about Rhaenyra. We have them having the dinner later where where she inadvertently tells him to kill the Strongs or implies that she would like them to not be a problem and he decides that means burn them to death. And then we have this scene. And I couldn't really figure out how this dynamic developed. Was really like I was like, how did we get to a point where Allison has a very clear understanding of what she needs to do to get this from Lairs, which is to start taking her shoes off and show him her feet. And it really felt like she like unlike anyone else and any other character she was interacting with in that episode like she was in his power in that moment and sure. i didn't understand how that dynamic came to be and like like you know she's got in a lot of other ways that she could potentially get him to do what she wanted him to do and like maybe maybe it is what like the way eric music where she is you know a little fearful of him in a way that she isn't of other people but i needed a little more to build this out if that's the way they were going. And I do think there's a risk of what Matt was saying, where he's, you know, he, he is disabled. He's got some taste and he's a, and he's a terrible person. So all of that's kind of getting lumped into <laughs> yeah. one character. So I see it differently to all of you. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. I love it. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, so I, I, I liked that scene, but yeah, I think I, saw it very differently to, to everyone else because I don't think that Alicent was aware of what was happening. Like, I think that Alicent has spent so long having to have her walls up around people and portray a certain person and be strong and, like, not let anyone just kind of see her relax because she's always had to be on guard. And then suddenly she's got this person coming along early on who's like, well, I can give you information. And they seem to have this relationship where it's fine for them to just have dinner by themselves with literally nobody else around. And like, it just feels like she's taken Laris on as that person who is in her corner because that's what she wants, right? Like 
She wanted her father to be hand of the king because he would support her. And I think Laris has kind of taken on that role of being Alicent's supporter so that she feels like she can start to relax around him. So I never actually thought that she was doing it intentionally. I thought that she was like in the scenes like, oh, okay, well, it's only Laris here. Like Laris won't mind. Like there's no, there's nothing like wrong for me to like strip off my shoes and socks because like I've been wearing them all day and I just want to like relax my feet because it's only Laris. Like Laris is like my friend. He's my supporter. He's he's the person who's going to like be there for me. I I can relax around him. That like that's how I took it because it never seemed intentional. And then like Laris's reaction, I'm like. I 100% expected Laris's reaction. He seems like a creep the entire show, but I yes. think Alison has kind of maybe like put that to the back of her mind or something. It's like, yeah, maybe he's a creep, but he's not a creep to me. Like he he's my supporter. Like he, that is how I saw that scene. I don't think she was aware of it. But you don't think she saw him put his hands in his pants? Like that? Like, yeah. He was. She was looking. She, like she was sitting sideways and like looking towards her bed. See, I read that as uncomfortable with what was yeah, happening. I read that oh, as... Oh, I, I, I didn't read that as all. I thought she was just, like, moving to sit that way. So, huh. so Jess, what you're describing, I think, is what I wanted the scene to be. Because I really uh, do okay. like that she's kind of letting her guard down and is, like, comfortable. Like, I was liking this. Oh, this is, like, kind of like Rhaenyra with the knife when she says, this is, now they see you for what you really are. Yeah. I feel like Laris is one of the few people besides Rhaenyra who sees Alicent for what she really is and yeah. sees her potential. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, this is like, we're getting into real talk now. Like, we're leaving aside all the stuff. We're like, you know, what are we willing to do? What are we not willing to do? What are we getting done? And this is like, and you know, she's taken off her shoes. She's getting down to business. And so I felt really betrayed when it went to like a very sexual place because. I get, and also like TV does this all the time. Like men and women can't have platonic relationships. And even though this relationship I think is platonic from Allison's perspective, they had to add in this, like, Oh, the only reason why a man would serve a woman is because he's like into her feet, you know, like, like he can't just, um, I don't know. I think they were intentionally, making the beginning of that scene ambiguous and leaving you not quite sure where it was going. I definitely wasn't sure as I was starting. Yeah. I'm like, wait, where is this? Yeah. What is happening here? So so I think up until the last few moments, I would have been on board with your interpretation, Jess. But I think when you get to the end, it kind of colors the whole previous series of events in another light. And it's very clear that Allison is like, okay, this is what I got to do now. I'm like getting ready. And she's like kind of very like, like the appearance of relaxation kind of vanishes. And she's very like matter of fact. She's like, okay, I'm doing this step. Okay, here now. Okay, now it's getting squicky. I'm going to look away um, and let you do your thing because I'm not into it, but it's what I got to do. Um, thing. I, I, I want to rewatch the scene now, yeah, um, yeah. I think, because I've only seen it the one time. So I'm just going off like, yeah. That I'm really curious, though, like but... if your interpretation does hold up on a second watch, that would be really interesting yeah. Uh, yeah. to me. I, I'll rewatch it and let you guys know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I 
I, I thought she was oblivious, like, the entire mm-hmm. scene. And, like, I thought it was leading to... I thought it was, like, pointing to some future thing where Laris is going to stop playing this long con that he's going that he's got going on and try and get something from Allison in return. Because mm-hmm. I think he's been mm-hmm. inching his way in to then get whatever it is he wants. And I think part of what he wants is like to be close to the crown so that he can do whatever he wants and get away with it. But I think he wants more from Alicent as well. I, I, yeah, I just didn't think that she was super aware of it. Like maybe she is in the back of her mind, but it's kind of like trying to mm-hmm. ignore that. But yeah, I, I didn't think that she uh, like was aware in that scene. It's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I will say, this was one episode that I didn't watch immediately. And so I, I had like a, like, you know, being on Twitter or whatnot, I had a couple, like I knew something foot related was happening in this episode was really all I knew. And uh, (laughs) so like going into it, I was like, the second she put her feet up, I was like, this is it. This is a scene. And so that definitely colored things, but I felt like every motion she took was like, she was trying to do the minimum. Like she put her feet up at first and she's like, is this going to get him to do what I want? And he didn't do it. And then she took her shoes off and then she, and then they kind of kept talking and she's like, is this going to get what I want? And like, it just felt like she was doing negotiating possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Negotiating basically. Yeah. And I do think that part of it, I want part of it. I wonder is like, if she feels like she's in his power because he's done this thing with the strongs that she mm-hmm. would be horrified to be associated with. And so, yeah. She, he had like he and he told her i feel you'll reward me for this in due time and i'm like is this a part of that reward like Maybe. is this how she uses yeah. it i don't know i'm i'm also bitter about that scene because i think episode nine was otherwise my favorite episode mm. like the intrigue of it and the i love the like the king is dead and we're like keeping a lock on it and like the like mm-hmm. locking people in rooms and figuring out who the allies are and like the way they're like struggling to like, like there's this wave building and they're just struggling to make sure the wave is unleashed in the way that is going to be the most favorable mm-hmm. to them is like, like the tension of it was so, it was such an excellently paced yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. I really liked episode nine, but I did really miss like having Rhaenyra and Damon in the episode. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. do really like how they structured it with having mm-hmm. the greens and then the blacks having their own episode. And like you can't have what was happening on Dragonstone during the episode with the greens because it's all related to what happens there. Mm-hmm. But I did kind of miss like the other characters that weren't in the episodes when, when they were happening. Um, yeah. But they did kind of make their absence a character in and of itself. You, you know what I mean? Like, it was very, like, even though they were absent, it was, like, the question of when are they going to find out? How are they going to find out? How are they yeah. going to react? Was, like, the dominating, um, like, one of the dominating tensions in the episode. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I did miss, like, seeing their yeah. faces. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And the... Matt, I think that the only thing with the foot, foot scene, though, is I I very much understand it is problematic that Laris is characterized as disabled, creepy guy who's 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 really a horrible person. Right. I get that. I think that scene 
is very interesting in that it has a window to their relationship and how that will evolve going forward. Uh, and so I wouldn't say it is unnecessary, right? Like it, it provides insight and I can totally understand why you don't like that. That is how their relationship is progressing. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. I get that, but yeah. I, I think this is going to be going somewhere because I feel like each scene in this show, like they have a very limited number of scenes and we're making every scene count and how that's going to evolve. I feel like it's, I feel like yeah. that is going somewhere and it's not just gratuitous for the sake of it. Right. Yeah, no. And I think my issue is more, I don't like where it's going. Sure. Like I agree with you. It is going somewhere, but I, yeah, I wish it would have revealed a different element of their relationship and that there wasn't this uh, element of their relationship because sure. I found it more interesting. You know, it's just nice to see a relationship between a man and a woman who aren't related, um, not be sexual. Sure. Um, but 90 in this show, even if they are related, the relationship. I was just thinking, like, <laughs> relations so, doesn't matter in this show. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, more thinking, yeah, like, you know. there's some nice, like, um, like Viserys Rhaenyra is a non, like, romantic sexual sure. relationship, thankfully. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that like, is thankful, fa indeed. Father-daughter is, you know, another common one. But, yeah. yeah. See, but Which what is, is interesting about said. it is it yeah. does kind of... Like, Laris has some interesting contrast then with Kristen Cole. Um, yes. Because uh, they're both, like, I think, dangerous men on short yeah. fuses. That's totally true. And yeah. Kristen Cole, like, Rhaenyra lost control of him after introducing, like, this sexual element in their, their relationship. Mm. And now both of these, like, kind of powder keg gentlemen are in Allison's corner. Which is what could you what if what goes wrong is Kristen learns that this is happening with uh, Laris and Allison and Kristen goes berserk. See, like that, that would make a lot of sense. And that, that would be really good, actually, because he would go berserk because Allison's on a pedestal. It's like you're not supposed to be doing something like that, right? Something that um, I forgot to bring up when we were talking about Kristen Cole earlier, mm -hmm. but the show actually has made him Dornish as well, which mm -hmm. is really interesting because Dawn is not a part of the Seven Kingdoms at this point. They're still yeah. independent. So mm -hmm. like he he's still like he's a foreigner. I don't remember where he was from, but like he's still from the same place as in the book. But like there there's mm -hmm. just this line from Allison of, oh, he's Dornish. It's like, oh, I wonder if they're gonna bring that in somehow. And what's interesting also, he looks like Ben Bonds, yeah. like young oh. Ben Bonds. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get over it. No, I absolutely believed why Rhaenyra was like, yes, I'm going to take advantage of this eye candy sworn shield. It makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Like, he's, he's really cute. But the Dornish thing is also interesting because in Dorn, they do, like, their first big leader was female. Mm -hmm. And they oh, do like have a tradition okay. of having the firstborn, regardless of whether it's male or female, be the heir, the the ruler. Interesting. Um, so the, the book that she's reading in episode one that she pulls the page out is about a 
um, Nymeria. Kind of a, yeah, like, I don't the know first... if they were Targaryen, like, going to Dawn and, like, becoming a ruler there. Yeah, she, well, because what happened is it. the Dornish people are a mix between, um, I forget, they're I think they're called of, the Roinar. Everything. They're, the Roinar, maybe? The Roinar uh, handles with a little bit of First Men from way yeah, back in the day. Yeah. But, yeah, so, but what happened was, is Nymeria um, came to Dorne burned her ships because she said this is where we're settling and then she married like the lord of house martel Mm -hmm. and they kind of co-ruled but she was like the queen and he was her consort but that's so she she took his name but she was still like the leader and so the dornish people are this mix between the the and so it's interesting interesting that he keeps attaching himself to strong females if that's like true you know, a part and then of his. resenting them for being, and then resenting part. them, yeah, and then <laughs> resenting them. Like I, I do want to see that happen, and I can't wait for Kristen to like get executed. That would be great. And and I can't help but think it's intentional. Now that you've pointed out that the book both Alicent and Rhaenyra are reading at the beginning is yeah. about this like Dornish princess. That has to be intentional, yeah. And like, yeah. oh, that's There's some text and stuff here. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like both oh, of them are kind of trying to be. Area the queen you know mm-hmm. but okay well we've i mean we, we could talk i mean honestly we could probably talk three hours about damon uh in particular Let, let's <laughs> let's be honest but uh let's let's wrap this up by talking about some expectations for season two and to do that we obviously need to talk about fire and blood spoilers because uh three of you have read the next section of it and i just asked jess to tell me what happens because i needed to know so uh we're gonna talk about fire and blood spoilers not the whole book just from a sun for a sun to the red dragon and the gold so that that next section so all right spoilers cool um yeah definitely seems like the next section is has lots of dragon battles and uh excitement and this this last season was all set up and then we're gonna get like all action and stuff. So I was messaging David uh, earlier this week <laughs> because I'm reading the book at the moment and he said to let him know what I thought. <laughs> I thought I was ready when I got to the end of like what the show had covered. I like I thought I was ready for what was coming. I was not ready. <laughs> I was not ready for what happened next because holy crap. Uh there's some just remember folks we're all rooting for our favorite warlords here nobody's a good person just pick your side and root for your favorite warlord well that's what i was thinking earlier when we were talking about how they put effort into like making allison's side more sympathetic like they also make rhaenyra's side more sympathetic like Mm -hmm. i think in the book rhaenyra's I think her similarities to Damon are more prominent mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah. Um, bloodthirsty. Yeah. Um, Needless to say, when Jess said uh, Rhaenys, uh battle against uh Aemond and Aegon a three-way dragon battle I'm like oh yes and because like really Luke's dragon he doesn't know what the hell he's doing so like a like Rhaenys fighting though like that'll be awesome mm-hmm. i really liked the setup for that because like one of the things the show did so good is the dragons are always kind of in the background 
And it's like, oh, this is this fun, like, status symbol that the Targaryens have. These, like, cute, like, things. Cute. But it's like, you know, but then, like, Rainey's escaping first. It's like, Alicent, like, you're in over your head. Like, Targaryens mm-hmm. are different. And it's, we're not just, like, your regular lords. We're lords with dragons. <laughs> and, uh, um, and what I loved was when Damon was basically doing the tally of yeah uh, yes you know they have three dragons one of them is vagar which is a problem because she's like old so she's like slower and stuff but she's very very big and is the only dragon with war experience um like actual like war and then but then they have vagar and two younger dragons and then the like blacks have like and he lists like blah 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 oh, yeah. and I'm going to the <laughs> wiki and like being like oh yeah that dragon yeah okay yeah and then yeah. he's listing like the dragons that don't have riders yet that they could like potentially find a, a rider for and it's it's like very exciting yeah. mm-hmm. I think that one of the things I have to do we're just gonna I'm just gonna dive into spoilers because do we're it. saying it that has to happen in season two is the dragon seeds plot where they start trying to find Targaryen bastards to put on these extra yeah. dragons. Oh, so okay. Yeah. The numbers. And one of the more interesting parts of it that I think will be kind of cool to see in a character side of things is after Rhaenys dies, they, uh, they're looking for these dragon seeds and Corlys is like, okay, well, I actually have these two, there are these two bastards that are Laenor's bastard sons that I'm going to bring to court now. And one of them becomes a dragon rider, and they're both really cool characters. But the rumor and everyone's expectation is these are Corliss's bastard sons. These are not Lenor's bastard sons. <laughs> right. And, Obviously not. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. No, one, no one thought that really. And yeah. so I'm really interested in that because they've made Corliss and Rainey's have such a strong partnership. That was not like they really have put that in there. And I'm mm. like, man, like this is another, there'll be another time where you learn something else about a relationship after one of the characters has died. Yeah. I want to see how they handle it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Just- I'm looking oh, looking forward is a bad term, but I'm looking <laughs> forward uh, to, to another thing that comes up. Uh, the whole sun for a sun plot, because I definitely think they're going to do that one. Um, yeah. But I, ha- I have this conspiracy idea, I don't know, headcanon, that they're going to do it differently. Because in the books, they, the, the long and the short of it is that one of Helena's sons is killed as retribution for killing Luke. And it's quite a horrific scene, uh, the way that it's set up, but I don't think that this show has done enough to set up Helena's children as, like, actual characters that anyone cares about. Like, it's kind of the problem I was talking about earlier with the children, but even worse, because I don't know if their names are even brought up in the show. Like, and, I vaguely know she has kids. That's about it. So and, it doesn't and just really... because yeah. they're so obscure, we're talking about Allison's grandchildren. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah, like right. we need to, like, confirm that because, yeah, like, yeah. they're so barely in it. <laughs> exactly. So I kind of think that they're going to do this plot uh, a bit differently because the way it goes in the books is that these um, assassins go into King's Landing, they capture Alicent and they're waiting for Helena to turn up with the children because they always visit 
uh, Allison before going to bed. And then they make Helena choose a child to kill, and then they kill a different child. I think Brutal, all of this though. is going to happen exactly as that. Except instead of killing a different child, they're going to chop off Helena's head. Because I think that's going to have a bigger impact on the audience. And I don't think Helena has much to do <laughs> after uh, this particular scene in the book. She kind of mm-hmm. is just sad and crazy for the rest of the book and doesn't do anything. As far as I'm aware, like, I haven't you I haven't correct. actually finished, like, past anything that we're talking about. But there, she doesn't seem to do anything. That's so, reaction that's, there. I, I, I think that Helena is going to be killed uh, for the son for a son plot instead because it's also the the show has gone to such lengths to build up Alicent as a character this is not Rhaenyra versus Aegon like that's not what this show is set up this is Rhaenyra versus Alicent Alicent cares uh, she probably she cares about her grandchildren but like as show watches like Helena is much more of an important character to Alicent than any of her grandchildren are so I think they're gonna kill Helena, because it will have a bigger impact on Alicent and on the watches. So that that's my head cannon. That that would be a really cool idea, and I'd be interested to see because like Helena, um, a lot of her like mumblings right are actually prophetic. Like yeah, and a lot of them are correct as well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like she predicted Aemond losing an eye, and mm-hmm. I I went through like a list earlier of like some of the the things. So I'm curious. If they are making that change, if they've already like seeded it, or if they mm-hmm. will seed it early in the next season, um, mm-hmm. in some of her, you know, random things that she says. Yeah, I see. I don't want to lose the prophecy thing. Like that's what that's mm-hmm. why I resist the idea because I lo- I love what they're doing with her, and I'm like, no, I want more yeah. of her like random cool little prophecies. So True. I think it would work, Jess. I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I do think it would be possible to kill the children off and not make it a tra- and not make you sad about it because of the children but more sad about it because of what it does to helena or what mm. it does to allison because i do have a lot of sympathy for helena she seems like a decent yeah. person in a terrible situation yeah seriously uh, yeah. but but that's basically I think, you know, how she's been branded online yeah, yeah yeah she's got yeah she's in a tough spot and the other thing that i am a little less sure of like they could make it work for sure but like the way it's set up is like you know they you know they say like okay choose someone to die, you know, she chooses one and they kill the other one and goes like, ha, your mother wanted you to die to the survivor. And that could work. But I'm trying to like imagine Allison's children and I'm like, so is it, she says kill Eamon and then they kill Helena instead or is it they kill Aegon and she says, and they uh, kill Helena instead? So when I was thinking about it, I was still thinking the grandchildren. Like it's still choose a grandchild to die or Helena is still choosing a child to die. But then they just chop off Helena's head. Oh, I see that. Okay, because oh yeah, not not like Allison's kids, but like Helena's kids still. Like the scene is still set up the same, Mm. just a different person dies. I see. Okay, because I was like, I just can't see Eamon being in the room, even if he's (laughs) disarmed and like letting that happen. (laughs) Yeah, you know, no, 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 no. I agree. I fully agree. Yeah, and I I will say too, I love because it's called these two assassins are called Blood and Cheese, and one of them is called Cheese because he is a rat catcher, and that's how he knows how to get through the secret passageways in King in the Red Keep. And so all the rats you're seeing in season one, in addition to probably being oh! thematic, they have a rat problem, and this oh, guy wow. is a rat catcher who works at the Red Keep. 
Okay, that's really cool. I really like yeah. that. Oh, foreshadowing. Oh, so great when showrunners yeah, I... foreshadow things. I was going to make a joke that he's Spencer, but okay. Uh, <laughs> <from> Skyward. <Yeah. laughs> I think it's going to be tricky given uh, all the crazy crap that uh, I've heard happen uh, to get some good character development and stuff because it seems like it's going to be I, a lot of action. I, I think they did a lot of the character work uh, this season. True. But, and the other tricky thing though is they're going to, depending how long this goes, is they're going to have to start setting up like the next generation, right? Like how they started to develop the kids. Mm. All of a sudden, like we were talking about, like Helena has kids and like, mm-hmm. you know, like, right. and obviously mm-hmm. the Targaryen line continues somehow. So right. like, mm-hmm. if and Rhaenyra depending has how far they go, like they need to start like kind of passing the torch and establishing um, new, they're going to have new characters coming up to establish. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Where do we yeah, think the season will end? I think that the season will end. And I think this is something you said as well, Jess, that it'll end with Rhaenyra taking King's Landing. Like that's, that's a really reasonable spot. And it's kind of a big moment for she's mm-hmm. outwitted Aemon. He's kind of taken the bait and he's gone to Heron Hall thinking that he's going to fight Damon and he's wrong. Damon and Rhaenyra have tricked him. And so that's a pretty good spot to be yeah. in for a season two, especially since she's on the back foot in the end of season one. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, and- I, I pretty much agree. Like, I think it's probably going to be um, Rhaenyra taking King's Landing. I could see them ending it at uh, Red's Rook. I think it's called the the battle oh, with Reese. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rook's Rest, uh, and like just ending it there with um, the giant battle. Reese being awesome, but then Aegon being injured and Aemon taking over, and like that mm-hmm. being the end of the season. Yeah. But I actually think it's going to end with like Rhaenyra taking King's Landing. I don't well, think there's quite enough there to end at at that point. So yeah. Especially when this season was so set much set up, I think they could tell a really tight story. Like, because they're already setting up, like, taking King's Landing has to be our, like, priority in, like, mm-hmm. Rhaenyra's war councils yeah. um, in the last episode. So I think having a really tight story where whatever else is happening, our goal is King's Landing, and then the finale being finding out, you know, who who ends up with this, like, who who's successful at, at this stage of the mm. war yeah um i i think that would be a clean uh tight arc so It'd be a clean ending i i'm just so excited to see season two because I, I i wanted a few more heads to roll in season one so i'm glad uh from what happens yeah does, you just you just can't do it's just all going to be conflict from here so you you kind of have to end it here right so it makes sense yeah but well, and 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 not just the people like, you know, in Daenerys's time, there is no dragons. And right. one of the things that's blamed for not they're not being dragons is this war is this war. And, uh, you know, if dragons are dying, um, it probably doesn't fare well for, for the, the riders. people riding on their back. I do um, want to see Rhaenyra and Daemon be badass on their dragons like Rhaenyra, especially. I want to see her on dragon be badass so it's awesome to hear like her taking king's landing with david like oh that's that sounds like exactly what i want here i will not say more because it's past the scope of our spoilers but yep. damon has one of the most badass dragon fighting moments that i think occurs in any like any character at any point ever so, it's so like, good 
I yeah, know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I think I've uh, heard the name of this battle because it's been mentioned a oh, lot online. Oh, I so. probably have. It's got a good name. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a very good name. But one of... When you're talking about character stuff that I'm interested in, I'm stealing this from what's either the official podcast or from this podcast called X-Ray Vision. It's hosted by one of the same people from the official podcast. But uh, they're, they've really set up Jace as being kind of aware that he's a bastard yeah. in a way that isn't really present in the book. And there's a plot line that is extant in one of the accounts that occurs where he he's going to Winterfell. We're going to bring the Starks into it. We're going to meet Craig and Stark, who is an awesome character. Uh but when he's up there, he meets Cragen Stark's bastard sister named Sarah Snow. And, you know, he's betrothed to Vela, but there's a but the the tale that is told is that he and she fall in love and they're married in the godswood there. Well, he's up there. And it's like a whole secret thing. And so I, the fact that they've upped his awareness of his that he's a bastard and he's meeting this girl that is a bastard, and he is also in need of some characterization, I'm like, this could be a really cool opportunity for them to do. And like, you know, you tie somebody to a Stark and you're like, they just got even cooler. Now they're married to a Stark. You know, they're, it just yeah. gets better. I, I feel like episode one will be like going to Winterfell and like seeing that because mm-hmm. they like, I thought that was going to happen in episode 10, but it's like, oh, then it ended like, okay, well, clearly mm-hmm. we're going to have a whole new cast of people <laughs> at, the, at yeah. Winterfell, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do think that's a hope, though. I hope even as they expand the cast, they keep like the family centered. Like I hope they're mm-hmm. able to kind of maintain that intimate feeling, even as they're like, okay. Cause like the show I hope is not going to become like about the Cregan Starks of the world. Like mm-hmm. he gets like a cameo for a couple episodes and then we know he's in the background doing whatever they say he's doing. But mm-hmm. I, I do hope they don't get so expansive that they lose the kind of like, mm the the, the focus for sure feel. yeah yeah but definitely fun expanding beyond king's landing and being like what's going on in the rest of this huge um kingdom mm-hmm. yeah there is a real i'm really excited for the riverlands there's some cool plots there uh the house mm-hmm. blackwood which we saw with that little boy who killed that guy during rhaenyra's yeah. uh her like progress looking for a husband he's from house blackwood and oh. there's a there's a boy lord there who uh and him and his sister are pretty relevant characters and i'm like okay i'm ready to see bloody ben and ally blackwood start kicking butt in the riverlands like i it can't but it's hard to balance that with making it too big but i am wondering if they might change the timeline of things around mm-hmm. a little bit, because mm-hmm. like um, in Fire and Blood, uh, Damon takes Harren Hall like right at the beginning of this section mm-hmm. and is basically just sitting there waiting the entire time, like doing stuff with the Riverlands, but he's like separate from Rhaenyra. And I don't think they're going to have an entire season where like the kind of the two main characters-ish are separated from each other, um, which makes me just wonder if they will push the Riverlands and Harrenhal thing back a little bit and maybe do it, say, episode five, episode six, and then build that up so that it leads into the end of the season. I could see that. Harrenhal is always a little anticlimactic because it's like a huge castle, but there's always like seven people yeah. living there. So people just <laughs> yeah. show up and like take it and they're like, okay, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, it well, seems like it's, such a non-event. It's just like, yeah. I'm here now, it's mine. Well, and it's, it's the hubris castle too. So it's yeah. like, oh, someone's in Harrenhal, oh. they're going to get like defeated. Like, mm-hmm. it's like a running. Oh, I was yeah. thinking about the, the bastard plot line and what would be really cool to juxtapose that. Um, I'm trying to place this. I'm pretty sure this is within what we're talking about. Okay. okay. Um, the Alice Rivers. Have you read about Alice Rivers yet, Jess? Uh, she lives in Harrenhal. She lives in oh, Harrenhal. Oh, wait. She, she's yes. A, yes. And I, I, I read that bit. I was like, why am I reading yeah. this? I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Alice Rivers is a bastard of the Strong family. Um, oh, yeah. Who also has uh, a role to play. Uh, I don't... <laughs> know okay. how much to say but i think mm-hmm. her role could parallel really nicely if they did like a jace um i forget her name a snow oh, sarah mm-hmm. sarah if they did a jace sarah plot line uh they could do a parallel with alice and another that character cool. that i am glad cool. that she has a role and that it was not brought up for no reason. There has been several tangents that I'm like, why, why are we talking oh, about I this? I, I, yeah, that's I, I like some of it's the tangents and other ones. I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. I think they'll have to expand on Rhaenyra's younger sons too. They are very young and I thought they'd mm-hmm. be a little older, but they're, they like will be relevant. And so her, yeah, her and Damon's sons like are going to have to at least be in a little more. And at least yeah. one of them has a dragon in the events of the book, at least. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. But that might yeah. be like a season three or four. Sure. That's mm. possible. You know, I, I have faith that they will do time jumps and deal with time very effectively uh, here. So I, I have I'm very optimistic. And I hope if they just keep the same creative team that like mm-hmm. we can just keep the same quality uh unlike you know in game of thrones where they run out of material and uh then yeah. the quality goes down oh uh, yeah 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 although <laughs> like it'd be interesting contrast because then if we're thinking season two will end when we think it ends um comparatively time is very compressed like they mm. wouldn't be changing any cast members um mm. between now and um the the king's landing battle i think i heard that there weren't any time jumps yeah. in season two so well, they oh, okay. weren't going to put any time jumps in yeah. so that sure. that makes a lot of sense with yeah. the line yeah, i mean um, that, that makes a lot of sense because it's like they're setting up the this phase of the war and it's like we gotta do that right now <laughs> you know yeah mm-hmm. i can very much see um them focusing on like the boss's plot line and jace in particular when he goes to Winterfell and all of that, if they build that up to then have the battle like near the end where um, he, he dies and like his his dragon drowns, and mm-hmm. like I think I could definitely see them focusing on that to really build him up as a character for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's supposed to ha- like they're like when he finds out that Luke has died, like, I think the book says he swore, like, a terrible oath. Like, there's a lot of drama, like, in Jace's mm-hmm. character, like, going forward that they could really, like, play him up this mm-hmm. season and do some cool stuff with him, I think. That sounds yeah, very actually, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Kind I, of what I, they I mean, did with Rob Stark in season two onward of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Rob became a lot more interesting after Eddard's um, death. I, I could see them doing something similar for uh, Jace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I don't think it'll happen. My visualization is like the first episode being just Jace going north and then it ends with him finding out about his brother, but I don't think they would keep the entire cast out of an episode. Like that doesn't actually compute. For, yeah. Especially for a season starter. Yeah, especially, yeah you need to check in with, with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could start with Winterfell. Like the, the, they probably won't do things where like we have entire episode in Winterfell. Like we're probably going to be cutting around for yeah. like a lot of people, mm. and it'd be pretty ensemble-y. Yeah. One one thing I'm curious to see what they end up doing is after the Battle of Rook's Rest, where uh, where um you know Maylis dies and so and so does Rainey's. Aegon ends up off screen for a very long time. Like people just don't know what he's up to. They don't know where he is. He's been hurt, but they don't know a lot. And I'm curious if he's going to disappear from the screen or if we're going to get what Aegon's up to on screen, because Mm. when he shows back up, it is very relevant and it's surprising, but Mm -hmm. I don't know how they'll handle that. If they'll show us what he's doing or if they won't. It could Mm -hmm. be fun to play with some ambiguity on like, cause the book kind of does that, right? Like plays with the ambiguity of is he coming back or not? Yeah. Um, D- definitely um, when they take King's Landing and they're like, Aegon's gone! It's like, oh, okay, where did he go? I didn't think he could walk. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that'll be very interesting because I think after episode nine, we really have to delve into Aegon and how he is acting yeah. as king. Like, that's super important, I think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very interesting. Oh, I want this now, but... The- <laughs> It's going to take so long for them to do all the post-production on dragons. So I was like, okay, fine. Years, I do want the... Dr- yeah. 2024. Yeah. And, and they're making an effort to make them, like, distinct and different, too. Yeah. Which yeah. is the other... Because, like, in Game of Thrones, like, Danny's has, like, three dragons that are born the same time, and they're three different colors. Um, and one of them grows bigger than the other two. But, like, it's, like, a nice little triangle. Um, whereas this, you have like a 17. big range of like ages and temperaments, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I'm cool. fine, I'm fine waiting. Uh, but yeah, getting all the dragons to look distinctive, I feel like if we get a stormlight adaptation, they'll be like, okay, we got to make all the shard plate look different, like, oh, okay, good luck with that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but probably dragons. The dragons look really good. The CGI in this look like it just looked incredible and was incredible scene by scene. So I hope they just keep up the quality and we can have mm-hmm. a winner that sticks the landing, you know? Yeah, I saw some people knocking the CGI in the first couple episodes and I was like, I, I liked it throughout. But it mm-hmm. looked good to me. I, I saw that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe it's because uh, comparing the last episodes of Wheel of Time and uh, some She-Hulk episodes, I'm like, no, this looks great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> looks incredible to me. <laughs> uh, nope, no issues here with the, these dragons. But hey, no, you're talking about dragons. I do think one of the things, like this, isn't necessarily. It's kind of a thing going forward. I'm curious to see how they develop the relationships between the dragons and the riders, because with Daenerys, mm-hmm. it was very much like. Drogon mostly just seemed to do what she wanted to, except for like that brief period of time in Marine where they kind of went wild. And in this, I think they've shown a lot more of the bond between the dragon and the rider. Like you mm. see Cyrax screaming when Rhaenyra is giving birth and all this stuff. Right. And I think like there's really interesting things to see in there. Like 
when you know when we see uh jace's dragon like jace is clearly so afraid and like the dragon is so afraid too and he's like there's just like that little gout of fire not jace sorry luke right yeah. when he dies and and i know that aemon didn't intend to kill luke but he did want to hurt but he, he wanted to hurt him and i yeah. do think that the dragons like they're their own individuals but they're picking up on their rider's energy too yeah. and i want to see like, you know, Caraxes and Damon are a great match. And you have to wonder how much of that is like flowing back yeah. and forth between whatever bond they happen to have. Well, and Vagar, like, it's interesting, right? Because it's a wartime dragon. And so it's like it's picking up on Aemon's aggression. Mm-hmm. And it might be accurate to say, oh, when Visenya was this aggressive, she wanted me to bite something's head yeah. off. So, yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I do think there there's a lot of that, like, yeah, uh, Luke's dragon is picking up on Luke's fear and, and, and all of mm-hmm. that. And so, yeah, that'd be really interesting to explore. Dragon's in the title of the show, so I, I would like that explored. And so, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to more dragons because I enjoyed the dragons that we got in this season. But um, I can't remember who said it before. Like, a lot of the time, they're kind of just like, in the background as mm-hmm. a prop more than anything instead of like doing something so i am kind of looking forward to seeing dragons do more things and kind of be characters in their own right that mm. are having actions yeah because like most of what we see is like at dragonstone like the when veneer comes the first time and then then the second time like it's like a threat right but they're mm-hmm. not like characters they're not doing things honestly the biggest time other than episode 10 is that fight in the stepstones with damon right yeah like that that, that which that i think they can one. do battles really well if they keep that yeah. up so that was intense cool well we hope you enjoyed this splinter cast uh if you don't know uh we we do content on brandon sanderson stuff and we do a lot of it but we will occasionally do shows like this where we talk about other things that we want to talk about uh and i mean we will do a house of the dragon season two whenever that comes out because uh i'm i'm in i want to read these books maybe that's dangerous Mm -hmm. but uh so if you want stuff on brandon sanderson and the cosmere we have so much of that if you're here for more game of thrones content we don't have that so uh sorry yeah. uh, but thanks for being with us for a bit yeah and yeah watching yeah and uh if you you want to know more about us you can find us on uh 17shard.com for all your brandon sanderson news discussion theories and fun that you could ever want uh you can find us on facebook twitter soundcloud youtube uh subscribe if you want branded stuff uh and you can support our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And it, yeah, that's that's what you can do. And so uh, this is our last uh, podcast before the Lost Metals release. So that, that that's really exciting. And so Lost Metal coming out really soon. Uh, that's it, it, it's weird, actually. So by the time this will be out, well, we'll be most of us on here will be at the the convention or in utah uh so that'll be that'll be kind of weird so so stay tuned for that and uh we'll see you all next time peace bye Ah.